0: Learn more at marines.com. Want to go pretty boy?
1: Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free.
0: Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss
1: McGill. Oh. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 20 of the Big Show, some enforcer based podcasting coming at you. Sponsored by the Hockey Podcast Network. And uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope everybody had a, hope my American listeners had an excellent independent day and uh and earlier in that canada day on the first uh so i hope everyone had a had a good safe and fun time and i'll uh should i try to keep it down in case you're all everyone's hung over should i talk really low npr title but <laughs> but uh no today's uh today's guest of course it's sunday so that's uh, another fault episode where we play one of my old player interviews off of my old website and uh today's guest will be kent staniforth a veteran uh Western uh, early '90s uh, Western Hockey League tough guy, and of course he played in the uh, SJHL as well as the Alberta Junior Hockey League and put up some sick penalty minutes. But uh, Kent was a gr- great guy, and what a great guy! And I'll tell you now, if anybody is in Lloydminster, the border city, the one that uh, actually the for Amer- uh, it's right on the Saskatchewan Alberta provincial border, and actually they have a, it goes right down the, the middle of the of the town. So one side's Saskatchewan, the other side's Alberta. So it's kind of a unique situation there. So that's why they call it the border city. So, uh, but Kent runs the fountain tire, and uh, in in Lloydminster. And so if you're ever there and you need and your and your and your ride needs some new shoes, go see Kent. Tell him you listen to the Fourth Line Voice podcast. You heard him on there. You get a swinging deal. That's completely not true. I'm making that up. I don't know if he'll give you a deal or not, but he'll probably tell you. He could tell you some good Western Hockey League stories, and he's a hell of a nice guy. You, you need tires anyway, so why not go there? But no, seriously, Lloydminster. Uh, if you're ever in Lloydminster, stop by, say hello. He's a good dude. He's got some. He's got some cool stuff in his office. He to show you. He's got some cool autographed jerseys, and uh, and uh, maybe Skip Craig will be around. The old ex Boston Bruin. He's always he's always good for a story or two. But, yeah, so support camp out there. <clears throat> but, and he's just a good dude in general. I have a lot of fun talking to him. So, uh, but, yeah, no, he yeah, has a great story. It actually was interesting when he was in Moose when he played for the Moose Jaw Warriors, it was actually uh, Mike Babcock's first coaching job. So he had some interesting, because uh, at that time when I did the interview, of course, Babcock was still coaching the Leafs. So it was an interesting take and uh, his his feelings on, on Mike and, uh yeah, no, I just, and like I said, it was just a fun talk, and he had some great stories, and, and Ken's just a nice guy. I think you guys, will, guys will, uh, really dig the interview. But other than that, I'm going to, I won't yap too long, but I hope everybody, if you're in the Twitter land, out in Twitterverse, you're uh, voting on the Bob Probert Invitational. Once again, the uh, the voting's been off the charts, and the impressions, and I think, like I was telling Alec the other night, I said, uh, my, my uh, Twitter account has 80,000 impressions one night. So it's been busy and the traffic's been good. We're in the fourth round, a couple upsets and, uh, it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting final. We're down to, what is it? Uh, Simon versus Grimson and, uh, Berube versus Brown and McGratton versus twist and Semenko versus Bougard. And so we'll see who, who, uh, when the dust settles, who comes out of that. But, um, I'm kind of thinking of boogie twist final, I think. But, um, <clears throat> Yeah, other than that, I hope everyone's voting. Um, You know, other, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, let's, why, you know, I won't clutter up the intro too much. There's no, there's no point in going on. We'll uh, we'll just get rolling with the interview, but uh, before, uh, when you, if you, uh, whatever platform you're listed to, if it's iTunes or Spotify or whatever, could you rate and review my show? It helps me out. Also, YouTube. Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. Check me out. I got over 2,000 fight videos on there. They're all sorted just in the little search engine. Type in whatever league you're looking for. Stuff will come up. And I got lots of unique stuff up there. Lots of old uh, West... I got a couple of Stanaforth fights on there. Go check out Kent's fight. Great fight with Toporowski. Great fights with Raider and Trombley. Um, Yeah, just other WHL stuff. OHL, NHL, you name it, it's on there. Um, And, uh, you know, so... Subscribe to the channel and uh, and, and uh, hit the little bell notification. And I'm always uploading new fights, so you know you'll get notified right away. You won't miss a single punch. So uh, I I would highly recommend doing that. And uh, other than that, yeah, check out the other shows on the uh, on the network. Of course, you got Terry Ryan and the other t- team shows, which should be starting up here with the NHL. And uh, like I said, support the support the uh, channel or support the network. Aisha and Derek put in a lot of time. They do some good work, and then of course, you know, I got Alec over at the Five for Fighting podcast. You got Joe at Coliseum Chronicles, who actually just opened up a merch store. Joe, I'm uh, I'm looking up at those leggings. I don't know. I think my gams would look pretty sexy in those things. But uh, hopefully, if if I drop your name, do I get a discount? But uh, you know, and other than that. Uh, you know, and then of course, old Bobby Longgrass, uh, old Rob over at the, uh, the Bucket Drop podcast. We, he just had me on and we did the top 10 LNAH fighters. That was, which was very difficult. But, uh, go check out those episodes too, uh, as well. I mean, they're broken in two parts, but they're both up and, uh, we had a lot of fun doing that. And also, if you want to get a hold of the Bucket Drop podcast, he's actually selling hats right now, and all the proceeds go to the Children's Abuse Center in Ontario, which of course is a great cause. And uh, I know he's already raised a hundred and some bucks already, so uh, good for you, good on you, Rob. And uh, I hope everyone uh, will uh, support Rob and his ventures. And uh, and I I got my hat here. They're actually good 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 looking hats. So. I just need to, I got to get my hair, I got to get my damn hair cut though before I can, I got wings coming out the sides, it's a real bad look right now, but yeah, but when I get my hair all cut, the hat will fit good, but uh, no, it's a nice hat, and, I, and and like I said, at the end of the day, it's for a good cause. Also, before I go, I've retweeted this, and I uh, put it up on Twitter, and I'll put his episode up next week, but uh, actually, maybe I'll get him back, I'll, you know, I'll get him back on the show, actually. Um, my boy Les Borsheim. And of course, Les, uh, you know, played in the, played in the Western Hockey League with Brandon, then he played in the minors, and unfortunately had a, uh, had a motorcycle accident, which left him, uh, paralyzed. And, uh, but wait, but he's always, uh, he's in recovery, and, uh, he's been battling, and, uh, if you go on Les' Instagram or his, uh, Twitter page, he's always got videos of him working out and rehabbing, and, uh, and and always fighting and i always say team borsheim for sure and uh, in august he's gonna he's uh, having a golf tournament it's uh, i believe it's his 10th one 10th annual and uh you know it raises all the money goes to uh less to pay rest less rehab bill uh you know his and uh so if anybody has any silent uh, silent uh items for the silent auction that'd be great and actually just yesterday Tim Hunter, I know, put on Twitter, he got a hold of less and it's a really nice print, and it's uh, all the guys that are in the 3,000 career penalty minutes, and it's all autographs. so, you know, Tagger Williams, and Marty, and Dale Hunter, and Baruby and, <clears throat> uh, you know, and uh, Rob Ray, and Domi, and it, it's just a really, and Tim himself, obviously, um, it's just a really cool piece, and that was a really... Classy move by Mr. Hunter, and, um, yeah, so that was really cool. So, yeah, if anybody out there listening, if you have a, if you have an item that you could donate to, uh, to Les's cause, that'd be, that'd be awesome. And like I said, Les is on Twitter, Instagram, he's probably on Facebook. I'll, I'll put the links out there and let everybody know. And like I said, I'll get Les here on the show coming up, and, uh, we may, we'll talk about some old tilts and, uh, and, and, and some Pilsner talk, but, uh, cause Les's a, Les's a great guy, and, uh, you know, like I said, great causes. So, uh, but other than that folks, uh, let's get rolling here. And bef- wow. One last thing I always say, you know, all these other podcasts, you know, we're, we're big corporate now. We got to have ads. So before hold on though, don't hit fast forward. Um, I, I don't call them ad reads. I call them an ad suggestion because this one is actually tailor made for my listeners. I think you guys are really digging. I know there's a lot of Jersey folks out there, you know, uh, you know with the season coming up. I think they're going to do the season. Maybe they won't do the season. I don't know. There'll be a hockey season at some point. But I know you guys like your jerseys, and you like the real things. You don't want those knockoffs. But So I got a great deal for you. Coolhockey.com. Been around since the 90s. They're NHLPA endorsed. And, uh, you know, and they sponsor the network. And so you just go to their website. Any team you're looking for, they got the third jerseys, the new jerseys, the vintage section. Um, I, I think they're a little low right now, but they're restocking because um, they've been the Father's Day and all that stuff. And I know, and I've I've asked around, I've asked people to buy jerseys. They've always had good success with the uh, with the company. Never had a problem. Everything comes as is and no good shape and uh, fast. And so uh, you know, I, I like I always say, I did my due diligence before I'm going to start. You know. Uh, Pimping out the ads, so um, yeah. And like I said, I always say I I, I went and uh, checked it out and picked the Calgary Flames and custom with McGratton, and custom sewn letters and name and just like the players have fight strap. It's like the legit thing that they those dudes skate on the ice with, and um, one hundred eighty dollars and that's Canadian. And it's out of Toronto, and they uh, free shipping. So how can you beat that? I mean, like I always say, and it's true. I was at Midtown Mall a couple weeks back, and that the same thing. And well, it wasn't McGrath, and of course it was Crosby or whoever. Three hundred dollars they wanted for him. So there you go. It's almost half the price, and and then you can get and you can customize it to whatever name and number you want. So there you go. Uh, at just that uh, checkout, use promo code THPN the Hockey Podcast Network THPN get thirty percent off free shipping. There you go. Don't say I never did anything for you. But, uh, and, and like I said, all the money goes to the network. I mean, each of those and Dylan and those guys are working hard and they got like, I don't know, 30 some podcasts that they're trying to run here. So, uh, you know, and trying to keep all of us idiots in check, you know, they're busy dudes and, you know, if we could, uh, you know, get them a few bucks. I mean, they're certainly not getting rich doing this, you know, hopefully they're breaking even at this point, you know? So, uh, you know, if you guys, you're buying jerseys anyway, like I said, I think that's a really great deal and, and you're supporting the, supporting the network and keep my dumbass on the air. So, uh, which it all, it's all appreciated. So there's my, there's my ad read, my ad suggestion. So, uh, but other than that, I hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. Stay safe, you guys. And, uh, coming up here on, uh, uh Wednesday, n- new episodes always drop every Wednesday and I got, uh, hopefully it's all planned for tomorrow at noon. I'm sitting down with this cat and if it works out, it should be a real fun interview and he's really gung-ho for it and tough dude. And, uh, I think you guys will really dig it, but I won't, uh, until it's in the bag, I'm not going to say anything, but, uh, until then, regardless, there'll be a new episode on Wednesday. So until then, here is my talk with Kent Stanaforth. All right, guys, thanks. My guest, all the way from Lloydminster, are you, are you on Alberta or Saskatchewan side? I forgot to ask you.
0: Well, I'm a Saskatchewan boy, but I am currently a Alberta resident, so I'm from Alberta now.
1: There we go, from Lloydminster, Alberta, Kent Stanaforth. Kent, how, is he, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, the call. Well, no, thank you for, uh, I know we've, uh, I, I've been talking to you about it for a while and uh, I even stopped by the shop there and, uh, and, and I even, folks, I even tried to bribe them in person and, uh, but you finally agreed to do it and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, I got a lot of feedback already about you and I got a few things, oh, ask him about this, ask them about this guy, so uh, I think we're uh, we're going to dive, we're going to do a deep dive into your, uh, into your career and uh, I, I think this is going to be good
0: right on it might be a pretty short story but it'll be fun
1: hey that's it's all right you know but uh well we'll so we'll start off so uh at 16 you you uh you you, you played triple a midget in north battleford for uh uh coach uh stan dunn correct
0: that's right yeah the legendary stan dunn
1: and um well, I oh, well, actually I should start. I should actually start this way. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody, you know, on, they're, as they're, they're listening, I'm sure they're typing "hockey DB fourth right now, and they're and you know, and they're looking at the penalty minutes and 300 minutes and all that stuff. Um, going into AAA, um, like, were you always like a physical kid? Like, like in terms of uh, the fighting, were you, like, did you box or anything like that?
0: No, actually, not at all. And up until. Midget AAA, uh, I actually thought I was a hockey player. And uh, that (laughs) fall, I was in Saskatoon at Blades Camp and had a pretty decent camp. Obviously wasn't going to make it as a 16-year-old. I got a call from the Saskatoon contact saying, or pardon me, the Blazers, uh, wanted me to stay in town. And, you know, I was a farm kid from Lashburn, Saskatchewan, Uh, A little overwhelmed with the whole scenario, but felt good with my my camp. And when they asked me to stay and play AAA in Saskatoon, I was like, "Uh, no thanks. And I remember the coach literally telling me, well, kid, you got to let go of your mom's apron strings at some point, so good luck to you. (laughs) So uh, I was like, oh, wow, this is how it's going to be. So on the drive home from Saskatoon, with my tail between my legs, uh my dad actually uh stan dunn was a bit of a family friend and he knew stan was coaching midget triple a in battleford so he asked me he said you want to stop in at battleford's camp and see if stan will let you skate and so we did uh, we stopped by he talked to stan and stan agreed to allow me to come back the next day and just play in the inter-squad game and uh yeah the rest was history. But Really, I had never been in a fight on or off the ice at that point in my life, and was just a big, strong, physical defenseman, liked to hit, but also liked to handle the puck, had a good shot, and like I said, I thought I was a, a hockey player then, and uh, did pretty well in the exhibition, or pardon me, in the inter-squad game, and uh was going to make the team so we had an exhibition game against pa about a week later and i have no idea what happened or why but i end up dropping the gloves with some big kid from pa and seemingly did pretty well so that i think kind of really got the ball rolling early in my midget triple a career and obviously there wasn't a whole lot of fighting in that league at that point, but uh, lurking in the background in Battleford coaching the Junior A team was Storm and Norman Johnson, and he soon took notice of uh, the physical play that I liked uh, to bring to the game and obviously heard uh, that I had a couple decent tilts, so that was uh, looming for me for sure. Yeah. Now,
1: did at this point, did uh, like did Stan kind of tell you, hey, maybe you should start, you know, concentrating on like on the or at least like boxing or anything like that, or is it more uh, like as far as Triple A after that was done, then you're starting to, you know, oh, I'm going to go to a WHL camp or whatever. Did you start? Okay, maybe I should. Like, did you had you made the adjustment yet to? Like that mindset of becoming an enforcer, or was that still on the back burner?
0: Yeah, not really entering my mind. I did certainly gain some some confidence after that uh, initial exhibition game, which was nice heading into uh, regular season. Obviously, the Sask Midget AAA League back then and still today, I believe, is uh, a very, very good league. So yep, yep. it was intimidating for me just as a player, but... I still was focused on being a player. Yeah. Uh, but I did that was back in the day when you could actually hit someone in open ice. <laughs> yeah. And I really enjoyed doing that, so that was something that I might have been known for back then was uh body contact more than anything else. But uh I did have a couple fights that year. I, I remember a couple scenarios that maybe just because of my age and and the, the type of games we were playing a couple scenarios that were that uh, come to mind we're at the big triple a tournament in pa and can't actually remember who we were playing but anyways we me and a guy kind of locked horns and we were ready to go and linesman broke us up we got penalties coincidentals who were in the box and I was pretty fired up and was having words with this guy and said, as soon as we're out of the box, we're going. And he was all for it. Yep. So penalties are over. We jump out of the penalty box. and Center ice. I'm like, gloves are off, helmets off. I'm ready to go. This guy beelines it to his bench. <laughs> so I'm uh, thinking, that didn't go how I was planning this. So I'm just going to follow you right into your bench. So there he is trying to get to his bench, and I'm right on his tail and uh kind of gave him a few shots while he's in the penalty bar bo- in his player's box obviously that was the end of the tournament for me but the uh the funniest part after that you know month later in the mail you get a letter from a ncaa scholar, or a school saying they saw you play hockey at this big tournament wondering if you're interested in a, a college career and i'm like i don't think you actually saw me play that weekend but thanks for the letter
1: one <laughs> well, those to whom it may concern letters
0: yeah <laughs> and the other uh scenario that really sticks out in my mind and i know you've got a buddy that follows you quite regularly regularly uh mr taves down in medicine hat he might remember this story and we for whatever reason i'm from lashburn lashburn has a rink an old barn that maybe holds 100 people, it's just, it was a great old rink, but for some reason, mm-hmm. at the end of the year, we're going to have an exhibition game against the Contacts in Lashburn. So all my buddies, I've already moved back home uh, to finish the school year, so all my buddies are asking if there's going to be any fights, and are you going to fight, or are you going to fight, and I'm like, oh yeah, for sure, yeah, having no idea what was going to happen. But anyways, uh, they had a, a fairly tough kid. I believe his name was Trent Height. And uh, we get coincidentals, maybe offsetting penalties. I can't remember exactly. No, actually, I was in the penalty box before him, because my penalty expired, and some crazy reason I could jump out of the penalty box, somebody gives me the puck I have a breakaway. So Lashburn's rink is about 30 feet shorter than your normal rink. So by the time I catch the pass and take a few strides and look up, oh, there's the goalie. Uh, I guess I'm going to run him right over. So I just plow over this goaltender, and height jumps out of the penalty box and comes after me. So him and I at center ice in Lashburn for my buddies get at it, and uh, the fight went pretty well for me. And uh, (laughs) it was just kind of a... Unique, neat story, and Trent Height back then was someone that I was not really too excited about fighting against, but had no choice at that point and luckily did okay in front of my home crowd.
1: look at that you were the, you were the hero of the day oh that that would, that would have been a fun night after I can tell you
0: <laughs> yeah it was it was classic
1: yeah, old uh, taste I, I I talked to Lauren a bunch of times I said I gotta get him on the show here. He'd have a few stories. Absolutely. Oh, he was like my favorite Medicine Hat tag where they used to come to town because we used to go to all the Blades games. Oh, I, I love me some Lauren Tays. He was awesome to watch. <laughs> Mullet, Russ running around hitting everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a little fireball for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, on that A team, was there anybody that um, that uh, the listeners would know? I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I was just saying that they went anywhere or something like that. I don't mean it that way. But. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Any names that people would know? Uh,
0: well, lots of local guys uh, would certainly know. Like Bryce Bahoon was our captain. He's a local legend in North Battleford for sure. Uh, real good friend of mine, Travis Thiessen, played with us. Uh, just a, a good bunch of local guys. So, uh, no one that really had a, a standout career moving forward, but. Travis, I, I would say, probably had the the best career out of that team, and he got drafted by Pittsburgh in the fourth round and played a lot of pro years in a lot of different leagues. But yep. uh, it was it was just a good semi-local team. Yep.
1: No, like you were saying before, like, yeah, that AAA midget uh, league, that's a strong league, boy. There's been lots of dudes come out of that league. Um, wow. Well, so we turned 17, and... Um, is this uh, when you went to the uh the, the Regina Pats camp, the roster that was posted on the Twitter yes last night? Yeah. Okay. Now that somebody posted that the Regina Pats uh, would have been eighty nine ninety invitees and for folks out there listening, you got Brent Duncan, Shane Stangby, Jason Knight, Jason Renard, Corey Dosdell. Scott Daniels, Frank Kovacs, John Baduke, Kent Staniforth. I mean, what is this, the Royal Rumble? Like, I mean, you're
0: you're putting boxing gloves on rolling into that camp. Oh, my God. Jim Matheson, handsome Harold Hamilton. Uh, So, yeah, I I go to this camp, and, uh, you know, this is at the end of summer, and I had a real fun time throughout the summer and happened to get into a little dust up about a week before camp and I show up to camp with a black eye and meet uh, Mr. Tippett who's coaching and he gives me the once over and looks at my eye and just kind of chuckles to himself and welcomes me to camp and I was uh, like to be honest with you I really didn't want to even go to that camp I was just looking forward to go back playing midget and you know life is good but Uh, back in those days you just you got the invite so you went and I remember a couple things from that camp and one Harold Hamilton who was known as handsome Harold Hamilton he was brought in there to fight Jimmy Matheson and basically the word around the rink was if he can beat Matheson he's got a spot on the team so I wasn't on the ice at the time but I was certainly watching the scrimmage and Matheson and Hamilton lined up uh, off a of face-off, and puck dropped, and those two big buggers started tossing them. And at that stage in my career, this was the best fight i had ever seen. And uh, Harold did pretty well, but Jimmy Matheson was, he was just a physical specimen, and he just outlasted Harold. So I'm pretty sure Harold didn't quite make the cut. Uh, The other thing I remember about that camp was literally before a game, we're just warming up and just the most simplest uh, horseshoe drill. Uh, We're standing in the corner. Some kid came and, and took a shot. Goaltender deflected it, and it hit Scott Daniels. So here we are. We're not even in a game scenario. We're warming up as a team. Daniels gets hit with a puck. He chases this kid down. And gave him about three or four on the ice for hitting him with the puck, <laughs> and I, I'm like, "Oh my God, what are we, what are we doing? I, what's going on here?" <laughs> so that was really intimidating because uh, Scott Daniels was a big, tough man with a reputation. So oh. seeing something like that happen before a game even started was an eye opener for sure.
1: Well, how did you do it? Like, did you get into any tilts in camp, or did you kind of just uh, just kind of take it all in and be like, yeah, I don't think so this year?
0: Yeah, you know what, I, I kept my nose pretty clean, and still at that stage, kind of thought I was just a good physical defenseman, not necessarily a, a tough guy, so I certainly wasn't looking for anything, and never got challenged, and just kind of floated through the camp, to be honest with you, and... Uh, yeah. I, I I wasn't going in there. First of all, wanting to make the team, and so didn't, you know, I didn't do anything spectacular or special to make myself stand out. That's for sure.
1: So, like at this point, you haven't really. Um, I get well, it, and it's interesting because, like as, as you're just saying, you kind of wanted to go back to triple, or your heart really wasn't into playing with the Pats or you know. But at the same time. Obviously, you go to the North Battleford North Stars camp of the SJHL and Junior A, and um, like, how did that go? Did you uh, the same thing? Did you just kind of play physical and uh, and it just sort of uh, you know the the enforcing just happened or uh, like how, what happened there?
0: Well, yeah, like you know how small town Saskatchewan works. If they have a AAA team and a Junior team in town, uh, all the midgets would get invited to camp so it was just a natural progression that I was going to go to camp and in my own head before camp even started literally I'm just going thinking this is kind of a conditioning camp because midget camp doesn't start for two weeks so I'll go skate and not really try out with no intention of making the team mostly because Norm Johnson coached the team and Norm was absolutely crazy and scary and the stories you heard were over the top and i'm like i don't want to play for that guy so i went to camp just to go for a skate and cuts are being made and cuts are being made and finally one day while we're skating uh, or before we're skating i'm just warming up and norm skates over and basically calls me out right there and says you think you're just going to go back to midget and wear C on your sweater and be some hot dog playing midget? I don't think so. You're staying with me this year. So at that stage, you know, after the practice was over, I went home and phoned my dad and I'm like, not too impressed because literally I wanted to go back, wear a letter on my sweater, play midget AAA and be some big wheel on the AAA team.
1: Everything he Uh, says, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, he just called me right out on it and hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Uh, But, obviously, I wasn't going to decline that offer. Uh, So, last cuts are made. He literally sits there, I think we had 24 guys on the ice, getting ready for exhibition, and he just asked everyone on the ice if you could fight. He'd go to each guy, can you fight, can you fight? Well, he comes to me, and literally I've been in three fights in my career, and I'm like kind of shrug my shoulders, and he's like, F off, forth. I know you can throw him. Oh, okay. So I guess I'm staying with Normie this year. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we get to exhibition, and, you know, obviously playing AAA there, you go watch all the junior games. You know all the teams, you know all the players, you know all the tough guys. So I have a pretty good handle on that whole league before I even played. But I remember our first exhibition game was against and Hawks. And, like, every team back then was tough, but Nippowin, you know, Derek Crawford, Trevor Sen, uh Brad... Uh, Oh, shoot, I can't remember his name. Like, they, they were tough. And Trevor Huber was one of their tough guys. So anyways, I'm getting ready for the game. and We had a uh, equally as tough a team, and Trevor Converse was probably one of the toughest in the league. And before the game starts, he looks at me and he's like, so are you going to fight Huber tonight? And I'm like thinking in my head, who's Huber? And I'm just like, oh, well, maybe, I don't know. Well, sure as shit, second period, I stand this guy up the blue line, and he didn't like it at all. Dropped his gloves right away, and next thing you know, I'm fighting Trevor Huber. And uh, uh, did really well. He was a 20-year-old. I was a 17-year-old, and beat him on our home turf on Exhibition, Next day in the Battleford paper, there's a picture of me laying a pretty good smack down on Huber. And that's kind of when my career path probably changed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, you, you definitely embraced the role because, uh, looking at the stats, you uh, ended the year with 303 penalty minutes. And uh, for people listening out there that aren't aware, for my American listeners and the such, the, uh, the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, um, back then, Junior A Hockey, it was called Jungle A for a reason. And, uh, yeah, like you were saying, every team was just loaded up. And, um, yeah, well, let's just... Uh, and we'll talk about a few few of the cats in that league at the time. Uh, well, you mentioned it, Larry, legendary minor league at Fort Trevor Sand. And uh, Did you ever have a uh, go with Sand?
0: No, you know what? Center back then was, uh, I would consider him kind of a middleweight. Yep. So he was beating the snot out of a lot of other guys. That just wasn't me, which was good. I, I was getting uh, hammered on by Derek Crawford and... Dave Podlubny and like the big rigs. So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, well, uh, well. I should actually. We'll we'll start with your team first, actually. And you mentioned his name, um, Trevor Converse. I mean, uh, there's another guy who had you know a lengthy minor league career as a tough guy. And uh, now, did he uh, like help you out at all, or uh, when you when you first started out?
0: Well, you know what, uh, I would say literally weekly after practice was done, it was you were staying out there and you were dropping your gloves and jawing around and wrestling around and just getting, you know, some balance and some feel for for things. Uh, Me and Connie never really, he didn't really give me uh, a whole lot of help that way. There was this wily old veteran back there by the name of Greg Shuri, who was kind of like Dr. um, McCracken. (laughs) He didn't get into a lot of fights, but he did a lot of damage with his stick. <laughs> so one day after practice, he wanted to pair up with me, and I'm like, "No, no way, you're going to hit me." And he's like, "No, I won't hit you. I won't hit." You. Well, needless to say, I leave practice with a, a shiner. But you know, he's a 20 year old wily veteran, and I'm a 17 year old rookie. Uh, after he hit me, it was just like, "Hey, Shuri, thanks for the lessons, buddy. Thanks, that was great." <laughs> but <laughs> anyways uh connie uh big south paw uh god must have been six three six four maybe uh but just tough as nails and norm johnson coaching that year he had connie play fourth line and connie was well known in the league as being one of the toughest and I remember Dennis Polonich was coaching in Yorkton and brought in Rob Krieger, whose nickname was Freddy Krieger. <laughs> so here's this great big beast that we saw, first of all, in the SJHL magazine. He was front page talking about him coming in and cleaning house in the SJ. But I remember the first game he came to town, I uh, were getting ready for the game, but I had to run out to the concession to get a chocolate bar or something for one of the vets, and I passed Freddy Krieger in the lobby, and I'm like, oh, my God, that is a big, scary-looking man. So anyways, that night, nothing happens, but our next game in Yorkton, like nobody was supposed to even come close to Freddy Krieger. Connie and Krieger got penalties, and as soon as their penalties expired, they left their gear in the penalty box and they were at center ice and connie beat the shit out of this big freddie krieger and the next day freddie krieger was no longer part of the yorkton terriers Yeah. <laughs> so that yep. i remember that night specifically and there was actually highlights on tv and when we got back to our hotel that night we could actually watch the fight it was pretty fantastic
1: yeah, well, and that and that's the thing back then, right? It was just it was a it was the jungle, and it was uh, like you said, it was it was cutthroat. Yeah, and if you if you lost, yeah. it was you were down the highway, man. It was uh, yeah. In some game, you know, and uh, well, and another guy I noticed that you played with uh, just going through the roster was Rob Stewart, and uh, for the UK fans out there, I believe he played like Jesus, almost twenty years over in Europe.
0: Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember he was a real skilled defenseman, and with Norm, like, he made no bones about it. If somebody even skates by your goaltender and the wind ruffles his jersey, well, your gloves better be on the ice. And if yours are, your partner's better be, too. Like, we must have had eight or ten line brawls that year. But one time, Rob got caught in a line brawl, he's not a fighter, Uh, wasn't then. Anyways, he's on the ice and the linesman's breaking up a fight, end up stepping on his hand and cutting his hand. So, uh, you know, normally you'd feel bad for a guy like that, but not Norm. Norm came in, tore a strip off his ass for being on the ice and having his hand on the ice. He should have been standing up and fighting like (laughs) what Norm was telling him. I'm just trying to make sense of it and it was unbelievable here's this guy's got to go get a bunch of stitches and miss some hockey and norm's giving him shit because he got his hand stepped on by the linesman <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: it was a different hockey back then yeah. oh my god
0: <laughs> could you imagine uh, that now
1: oh my god no. he'd be able, social media he'd be up on charges yeah
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, Normie would have been in jail like a 100 times over for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So other guys on that team, uh, Steve Konowalchuk was a skilled player. Or Brian, pardon me. Yes. Steve's brother. Uh, We had Jeff McMaster. Jeff played a little bit with the Blades, and I remember one day on a road trip, he was a wily old vet and he was an all star in the league. He was just a good player and a good teammate. And we're riding the bus, and he called me to the back of the bus. And we just got our ass handed to us and nip win, and it's pretty quiet on the bus. We're likely going to get skated when we get home. And Jeff, and we don't get fed. Normie owned the team, he was the manager of the team, he was the president of the team. Like, he decided whatever goes. I decide. So if you lose on the road, you know you're not getting fed. That was just the way it was. So we didn't get fed. And Mac calls me to the back of the bus, and he's like, hey, whatever you do, you've got to make it to the dub. And I'm like, yeah, why? Well, win or lose, they feed you after every game. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well another guy on your team was Martin Smith. There's another guy.
0: Oh yeah. Uh Doc, he's a good friend of mine still. He was uh one of the most skilled players obviously of that era for sure. Yep. And you know, he was probably twenty years premature. If he would have been playing twenty years later he would have had a hell of a pro career. Uh but you know, it was just it was just a battle out there and smitty was not a big guy he was just super skilled and there was lots of uh liberties taken on on guys even though there was retribution it still didn't deter some guys from wanting to get it martin and uh norm was was tough on him uh but you know he was a guy that would give us a chance to win some games and the one thing I remember that makes me chuckle, and I still tell this story, is, you know, back in the day, everyone had those Bauer underwear, the long-sleeve shirt and the pants and well yep. Doc's Bauer under, uh, shirt On the top, written in marker, it said Saskatoon, crossed out. Uh, below, it said Brandon, crossed out. Below that, Regina, crossed out. Uh, Seattle. like he had stints in about 8 different dub teams but just couldn't stick and uh, he just made light of himself in that regard and it was really comical to see that on his shirt
1: yeah well I was just looking up his hockey DB yeah I mean then after he played in a bunch of teams and played in the East Coast League and went over to Europe for a bit and uh, yeah well like you said the one year in the SJ, his final year there 136 points and yeah he put up some points without a doubt
0: yeah, I think he he might still have, I don't know, a career points leader in the SJHL. But I, I think he he's definitely got some uh, scoring records still standing for the for the league, not just the team.
1: Yeah, well, and like you said, as we I was just kind of going through the through the teams, and I, <laughs> I'm looking. The Belfort Mustangs had four thousand penalty minutes that year. <laughs> like uh you know scott rogers and dosdall and jason Hope and uh
0: was it mark uh georgie uh oh georgie? uh faneuf uh Corf- yep. oh yeah there was uh i, I remember Fanof one time in the old melford barn uh i don't know if you know how he was built but he wasn't built anywhere near like trevor converse wasn't but he called connie on the one day and like put on a show beforehand, he threw his two gloves in the air and spun his helmet, and Connie kind of got himself ready. They locked horns, and Connie basically one-punched him. I'm like, okay, you might not want to put on such a big show next time before (laughs) fighting a guy like that. But, uh, okay, here's a name from that team. I don't know if if, uh, he must be one of your followers if not he will be after this but Jeff Mitchell okay Normie traded for him I think he was playing out in the uh the BC league somewhere but anyways this great big freaking redhead with a missing tooth comes from BC and uh he was you know, He had been in a few tilts in his career and obviously knew that was uh, a big part of his game. Uh, I remember rooming with him one time. We were staying in Esteban, so unload there, drive down to Minot, play in Minot, we lose, so of course we don't get fed. Well, Jeff's a 20-year-old from the BC League. We get back to our hotel room at the Saragella Inn, and uh, Norm would make you leave your key in the door all the time just in case he wanted to come check curfew he wouldn't have to knock well we get back to our room and this 20 year old kid from uh, the bc league is pissed off and he's like this is bullshit i'm not putting up with this i'm going downtown to get something to eat he, and i'm like hiding under my covers he's like are you coming with me or what i'm like okay <laughs> so i pop up and we walk downtown esteban just to see if we can grab anything to eat at two in the morning uh, so that made me uh, have some respect for this big, tough redhead from BC. Thank God we never got caught. But uh, about a week or two later, we're at home, and I want to say we're playing, uh, gosh, I want to say flin-flon. But anyways, uh, Mac is out on the ice, gets into a fight, and Battleford's ranked the benches, literally the two backup goalies are standing side by side. So fight on the ice, which turns into a five-on-five on on the ice, which turns into the two backup goalies swinging at each other on the bench. Both benches clear, and then both benches or both teams clear into the hallway. So if you're a fan in the rink that night, you would have saw both teams on the ice, in this ruckus, and then you would see nobody on the ice because both teams are completely under the stairs getting at it in the hallway. Like It was the, the biggest gong show I had seen in a long time, and Big Mac was the one that initiated that and loved every minute of it, <laughs> and so did we. When the dust settled, all four goalies were kicked out, and we had to put Jeff Freeze in net, to finish the game, he was one of our top scoring right wingers he finished the game in net, thank god we had a pretty good lead because he was pretty leaky and we ended up winning the game
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> tremendous uh, classic SJHL people are probably just listening to this just like younger fans just like, no idea just, this is like a different <laughs> world that they're listening to right now um, well speaking of a different world do you have any tales from Flim Flon?
0: Um, I do remember leaving Flintflon Flon one night. Me and Jeff Perlinger. Perlinger was a five foot seven, one 175-pound offensive player. Me and Pearls were the only ones that got into a fight that night, and we lost. So here we are leaving Flin Flon with no food, and we're about an hour out of town. The bus stops, and we're like, what the hell's going on? Normie stands up at the front of the bus, tells Dwayne Bone, who's one of our 20-year-old offensive players, tells Bone to get off the bus. He's the biggest chicken shit in the league, and you let your team down, and this is bullshit. Get off the bus. You're walking home. Well, this is an hour out of Flin Flon. (laughs) i'm like oh my god like this guy is crazy so bone of course is sitting there like as if i'm leaving my seat like there's no way i'm leaving so once norm got off that task he basically called out the whole team and applauded me and pearls for being the only two with any balls that night to stand up for anything and you know if you didn't fight you didn't obviously he'd care about the game. That was his standpoint back then. And uh that was a an interesting hour sitting parked on the side of the road. But as far as like actually in Flin Flon, uh, we had lots of lots of fights but not any real crazy stories that uh that would surprise you. It, it was a real intimidating, scary barn to play in because they had the big picture of the queen at the one end. Yep. yep. And chicken chicken wire around the corners. Yep. So, well, they throw,
1: uh, and they throw the moose leg on the ice for the first goal. Great. Right.
0: <laughs> so, it, it, you know, the first time a guy goes up there, it's you're just sitting there with your mouth hanging open, like, yeah. "Holy Christ, am I actually up here playing?" Yeah. Well, it but was, uh,
1: it's funny for people listening. I mean, especially for maybe younger folks. Folks, when you watch the movie Young Blood, you might be laughing and everything else. <laughs> But it's like, no, that's kind of really how it was. It was uh, (laughs) like the Thunder Bay Bombers were probably pretty well based on the Flim Flom Bombers. (laughs) And there was plenty of Carl Rackies running around, I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, and thank God, you know, even though I was a young kid, 17-year-old, first year and junior, uh, I felt really safe and confident and comfortable not only with Uh, my teammates but myself like here I am a 17 year old kid and if I'm looking back on that roster you know I'm the eighth toughest guy on the team so going into a place like that for some teams would have been a pretty scary adventure going into a place like that with our team we're like uh we're not sure you guys own this barn we might try and own it ourselves yeah so a little bit of comfort level and in your teammates and whose who's draft goes a long, long way, not only for your skilled guys, but, you know, for your fellow tough guys.
1: Well, like you said, when you get, when you get off the bus and you know you've got backup and you're with a tough team, yeah, the, uh, you walk a little taller, for sure, when you're getting off the bus. Um, yeah. Well, just a couple, before we move on from the SJ, a couple names for people listening that'll, recognizable names anyway, out in Esteban, you had Neil Little and Nett. And he went on, of course, to Philadelphia Phantoms fame. And I know in the NHL, and there's a bunch of goalie fights in Neil Little out there. Um, but also a fellow future Western Hockey League enforcer, and I know he follows the account. And hopefully, he's listening to this, uh, Dave McMillan.
0: Oh yeah, Dave follows you for sure. Yes, I'm and I remember a Dave. I uh, uh, played in Victoria, I believe. Yeah, and
1: then Tacoma,
0: yeah. Okay, well, Neil Little. Here's a little bit of useless info for you. I think I had one goal that year, and it was against Neil Little in Esteban. There you go. (laughs) But uh, one other thing that stands out from that year, we end up getting paired against uh, Yorkton, first round of playoffs, and... Dennis Polonich, who you obviously know who that is, he's coaching this team. Yep. And he would coach with a floor-length fur coat all the time. (laughs) And he had had some connection out east because he had some French guys playing on his team that were highly skilled. And so we're playing a highly skilled team against a, you know, meat and potatoes with a little bit of skill and decent goaltending, first round of playoffs. We step on the ice for the first period of the first game. Polonich has the whole team in full cages. And we're all skating around, like, you got to be kidding me. Like, what is he doing? And speaking of cages, (laughs) I spent the first three months that year as a rookie, literally, you know, just trying to survive and trying to make a name for myself fighting whoever and anybody, while Norm ends up putting me on a AAA midget card. So come cut-down time in, frick, I don't know, January or whatever the yeah. hell it was back then, Yep, uh, I have to start wearing a full cage. Oh. So I spent the first half of the season trying to be a junior player and trying to talk the talk and walk the walk, and then all of a sudden... End of the year. Oh, guess what? We're going to put a cage on. So I, I took a little bit of abuse uh, from some guys, but all I would say is you already know this comes off, so you decide. So it was a deterrent a little bit, but really didn't prevent anything. It was just more of a pain in the ass for me to get it off.
1: Well, how how well that how did, well you say Three hundred penalty minutes. So you had to do some fighting. Um, how did the fighting go that year? Did you? Uh... Obviously, did you you gain confidence as the year... Well, how many fights do you think you had, and then were you gaining confidence throughout the year?
0: Yeah, I, I would say so, and uh, like I say, just with the, the guys on the team that I had looked up to the year before and had respect for, now my teammates, you know, there's some guys like Connie that I thought was heavyweight champ of the world, like, nobody's going to touch this guy. And I would... Guestimate I probably had, you know, 12 or 15 fights and probably was in three or four line brawls. And, yeah, I, it was just you, you didn't really think about it. It was, if it happened, it happened. If you needed to go make it happen, you just did. You weren't worried. You weren't scared. You weren't whatever. It was just part of the game and go out and do it. Yep and like I remember really I think only one time that year Norm might have made it real obvious that he wanted me to fight and Doug Bacon had played for the North Stars for a couple of years and uh, I don't know what happened but they had a falling out and he traded him to Humboldt so we're playing Humboldt one night and late in the game Bacon scores an empty netter to go up by two and Uh, i'm a defenseman but i got the kick in the pants and said for the face-off left wing so i look out there who's playing right wing but doug bacon well doug was a pretty skilled player but he was tough too so as soon as i got the kick in the pants and said left wing and i saw who was on right wing uh i knew obviously what needed to happen when the puck dropped and so that did and You know, Doug was a a 20-year-old guy that had a reputation in town, and I still wasn't giving myself a whole lot of uh, uh, accolades for being in that kind of category. But anyways, we end up fighting, and I did way better than Doug was hoping I was going to do. So when we both left the ice, he starts yapping in the hallway and we decide we're going to have round two in the hallway underneath the benches <laughs> so i'm swinging at doug in the basement there again and all of a sudden norm's wife who was kind of his assistant manager of operations she's running down the hallway trying to break up this fight and then norm comes down the hallway and that battleford rink wasn't set up all that great for uh after fight festivities but uh I survived the hallway round two as well.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Well, so uh, so we'll move away from the uh, from the jungle a and uh, you make your step into major junior hockey with the uh, with the Moose Jaw Warriors in 1991, ninety one. You're eighteen years old. Um, how did you uh, end up in Moose Jaw? And at this point, were you fairly confident in your like? I've, did you embrace the role Heading into it like I, this is, I'm going to make it As an enforcement in the Western Hockey League Or were you still sort of on the fence
0: uh, Well Actually that year started out With me uh, I was listed by The PA Raiders okay, And I had taken a couple Trips up to PA throughout the season uh, To watch a game And to chat with Terry Simpson So That was exciting for me, and uh, Terry was a gentleman and a professional and, you know, made you feel a certain way that you were wanted by their organization. So uh, that was great. The season ends. I'm getting ready to go to PA, and, you know, about a month before I'm going to PA, Terry takes a job with the Winnipeg Jets. So all of a sudden... My connection there is gone, and I think it was Rob Dom that went in as the head coach. So I go to PA, and I'm kind of feeling that same way I was going from AAA to Tier 2 Junior. I'm like, ah, jeez, I'm just getting comfortable there. I should probably just go back and play there. And uh, I wasn't certain that this Western League thing was the path for me. But, you know, like what you did back then, you just went. So I went to PA and I was there a couple weeks before camp. And uh, it was really intimidating there because that team seemingly felt like half of it was drafted and the other half was about to be drafted. And I was just a number six D man from lashburn saskatchewan with likely no potential to be that kind of player so you know guys like uh jeff nelson and dean mccammond and you know guys like that eh? like they had a good team and they had some they had uh they they, i don't know they were just at a different level than what i was used to so it was intimidating for me uh and I remember once camp got started, Tracy Egland had been drafted already, but he was skating at camp, uh, just getting some ice time. Well, for some reason, we end up fighting at camp. And for me, it was no big deal, just another fight. And uh, I didn't have a soul there that I knew, nobody that I even could talk to. So I'm in the dressing room after the, the scrimmage. All of a sudden, Tracy Eglin with, I think it was Tom Fuller and maybe Tilly, and I know Steve Dillman as well. He's a friend of mine. I believe those two guys come walking in. So Eglin up front, these two big, tough guys in behind him, and Eglin tears me a new ass right in front of everyone in this dressing room. Like, you freaking punk, you gouge my eyes, and you wreck my pro career, and, like, just going off, and I'm like, like buddy, you never been cut with a punch before, like beat it. But yet I'm like, look at this, he's coming in with three veterans trying to intimidate this young rookie, which he did, but obviously I didn't want to let them know that. But that that really kinda put me in a spot where like, oh my god, like I'm definitely not fitting in here. And stayed around for a bit, we played a couple exhibition games, uh, and long story short, my best buddy, Travis Thiessen, was in Moose Jaw. And Lauren Mulliken was coaching Moose Jaw. And Mooner had seen me the year before in Battleford at a game. We were playing Weyburn, I think. And this 17-year-old punk's standing in front of Weyburn's bench, calling on the bench. And Mooner's there watching this. So Mooner asked Travis, Hey, what do you think about that Staniforth kid? And Trav obviously gave him a good endorsement. So I got traded to Moose Jaw uh, right before the regular season. And PA was just about to go on a road trip. Dom calls me into the office, says, "Uh, we've traded you. So inside, I'm like, frickin' right, I'm going back to Battleford. And he hands me the phone. He says, here, here's Moose Jaw's coach. He wants to talk to you. And it was Greg Quisley. And all he said was, We play tomorrow in Swift Current at 7. Be there. Click. Okay. So I went to my billets, packed my stuff up, drove back to Lloyd in about two hours, which normally takes about three and a half hours. Yep. And we drove to Swift Current the next day. Uh, The whole uh, attitude was just so much more accommodating for me. Obviously, with Travis there, that was nice but I met the team in the parking lot. Everyone came off the bus, introduced themselves to me, and it was just a different, different atmosphere. Because yep. PA was a, a solid team. Moose Jaw was, you know, middle to bottom of the pack, and just a bunch of blue-collar guys. Uh, so, yeah, the fit in there was just a whole lot better.
1: Yeah, well, and then, um, like you said, while well, your, so your first... Uh, Wow, that yeah, so you end up with Swift Current. That's a heck of a team to start against. Uh a guy, an interesting character on that team, uh and he went on to have a long pro career and uh you know, he had you know kind of fizzled out in the NHL, but man, the dude put up points in the WHL was Kimby Daniels.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, like they had some unbelievable skill. Yep. but still had some unassuming toughness which was uh which was weird because when you play swift they were just they're fast they were skilled so you you couldn't play a real physical game against them but that first year uh right off the bat you know they had mark mcfarlane yep and i remember the year before or a couple years before going to the AAA tournament there and hearing the story of Mark McFarlane and how he made his trek to the dub. And, you know, he was a fairly tough kid and and looked tough. And he just, you know, he was just fit that role really well. I think that first game, I ended up fighting Ed Patterson. And Travis told me after the game, once we dropped the gloves, he said, Mooner kicked me in the ass and said well can he fight and Travis like uh I don't know I guess you're going to find out real quick and me and Ed had a tilt and you know I was never a guy that was going to hurt anyone I was never a guy that was really going to get hurt some of my fights definitely weren't all that uh you know fun highlight reel scenarios but there was just lots of them and you know, that was just another fight where I did well without, you know, knocking a guy out. So it was a nice uh, entrance into my new team. And that night, of course, we're having the rookie party. So life was good.
1: There you go. Well, of course, that's 90, and the And the big team that year was obviously the Spokane Chiefs. Stacked up team. They went on, won the Memorial Cup. They had Pat Faloon, uh, Ray Whitney. Um, just an unbelievable team, but one of the characters off that team is a minor league legend, and everybody will know who I'm talking about, and I know you fought him a couple times, was Kerry Toporowski, and he had 505 minutes of penalties that year, and he was out in, uh, so you only saw him one that one time, right, that year?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we would see them either once there or once at home, so we'd see them once a year.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you're rolling out to Spokane. Did they cut? Did you go out there? or Did they come there that year?
0: Actually, uh, now that I say that, did they come? I think maybe it was that year one, we huh? played one home and home. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, obviously, you know the reputation. You've heard all these stories. What's it like playing against them and uh, and fighting them?
0: Well, first of all, Topper, you know, I knew the guy and knew the player from since I was 15 years old. I'd go to Blades Camp. Well, Topper's at Blades Camp. Uh, He go to.
1: Oh, let's see. I didn't know that. Okay.
0: Oh yeah, I uh, I remember actually playing with him at a Blades Camp one time. So. I had no idea what his future was going to look like, but I remember him as a 15- and 16-year-old kid, and I think I actually played AAA against him uh, that year. But definitely this guy had the reputation uh, that just preceded everybody and anybody, Mm -hmm. which was really, really strange to me because obviously such a big, strong tough guy that fought everybody and anybody but you know he didn't say shit if his mouth was full of it he wasn't a guy that yapped he wasn't a guy that was chirping he was just a guy that had that presence out there that you knew and his whole team knew uh this guy is never ever going to get beat and he's quite likely going to hurt you so his reputation was, uh, it was impressive. So for me going out, we fought in, in Spokane first. Uh, was I nervous? Uh, yeah, for sure I was because, uh, you know, sometimes you just look at stats and you look at his stats and he's got freaking 400 and some minutes and it's not the year's not even done yet. Those yep. aren't 2-minute hooking penalties. Those aren't 10-minute misconducts. <laughs> That's a lot of a lot of 2 roughing and 5 fighting penalties. So, uh, yeah, he absolutely owned I would say the Western League, but luckily for us, even though we had some some tough bastards in the East, you know, we we're lucky enough that we didn't have to play him, you know, 8 times a year. So it was kind of a little mysterious or or little bit of mystique there when you had to play him because he wasn't someone you saw all the time so it was pretty interesting and i'm happy to say i survived uh, both fights with him (laughs) and uh definitely i don't think he's a guy that too many people would finish and say i beat topper you just want to stand in there and throw punches and look in the the box score the next day and see that you actually had a five-minute fighting major with Topper.
1: Yeah. Well, like you said, out there, like out in the West, I mean, you, you know, you look at some of the teams, I mean, you got the Kamloops Blazers, I mean, you you know, you got like you know, Joey Middlestads out there and, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, Seattle. I mean, you know, they're sitting out there with like Doty Wood and Turner Stevenson and, you know, yeah. Brent, Brent Billado and, you uh, you know, Tri-Cities, I mean, you know, Jason Marshall, and, uh, you know, you know, it just goes, it's just like, it's just like never, Terry Virtue, and, you know, it's just like never-ending out there, it's just, uh, you know, Victoria, <laughs> yeah, and all... and then going back to like, baduke and those guys, you know, and Mark Cipriano,
0: right. and, you know. Well, they're all, they're all guys that you've heard of, but you don't know them well, so it's yeah. You, you you're, you're uh, so that's like you're, you're kind of going
1: into a blind, right?
0: Yeah. I remember uh Seattle and you talk about Turner Stevenson. Yep. First time I stepped on the ice in Seattle I was thoroughly impressed with their uh fans and the knowledge of their fans because here we are back in freaking nineteen ninety where there's no phones, there's no internet, there's no Twitter, there's nothing. Yep. but yet the second I stepped onto the ice, I had this group of about 30 guys in the corner all over me <laughs> saying, hey, Staniforth, are you going to fight Stevenson tonight? Turner's going to kill you. Like They obviously knew that I was the guy that would be most likely to fight him, but for them to know that, as soon as I stepped on the ice, I was like, Thinking, ah, this is awesome. Nobody knows this out here. Nobody cares. And shit, I haven't even done a half a lap, and I'm getting my ears filled. So <laughs> I was impressed by that. Yeah. Did uh, Did you fight Stevenson that night? I did not fight Stevenson. I uh, I did fight Wood, and Dody Wood, you know, is not a huge man. Nope. Uh, he was abusing Derek Kletzel. On our team and uh, obviously I didn't like that and my coach didn't like that so here I go again I'm a defenseman but guess what I'm going to go out for the next faceoff and take a faceoff against Dodie Wood yep. so that might have been my one and only face-off attempt in the Western Hockey League and I'm not sure the puck actually even hit the ice but so <laughs> we end up uh, fighting I let him know I wasn't too impressed with him abusing our top scorer and he could really give a shit because he was going to do whatever he wanted to and uh so we had a pretty good fight he tied up pretty pretty quick and you know he likes getting in tight with some bigger guys and when he's got that got
1: duck thing and
0: uh yeah exactly so nobody gets hurt they break up the fight but in this rink they put us out the hallway and literally we have to walk about 200 yards side by side walk into our freaking dressing room so that was a little awkward, but uh, <laughs> that was about the only excitement. I didn't really fight a lot against Western opponents. Uh, there's a handful of guys that I did. Uh, and the one guy that probably, if anyone asks me, you know, who, who surprised you the most out of anyone you fought? And I remember playing Portland one time. And I don't know what happened. We tangled up in the corner and gloves came off and we started going. It's Chris Rowland. Yep. This guy was the most underrated fighter. And I ended up talking to some of his buddies years later and saying, they asked me, Hey, remember Chris Rowland? I'm like, Oh, yeah. Like, I had to, like, of hang on there i thought i was going to get my ass handed to me and they're like oh yeah he is crazy tough nobody really knew that he didn't fight a lot but he was tough so that was probably my biggest surprise out of anyone uh on any team really like most of the guys you're fighting you're expecting and you know what to expect but he was someone that never even heard of let alone look like someone i should be concerned with but he was tough
1: well, yeah, and like, uh, well, and like you said back then, right? No, no internet, no, you know, it's not like these games were on TV and satellite and all that. I mean, you know, so it's a completely different world. Did you, um, like, did you ever watch any, like, game tape or any video or did you have any kind of scouting at all for anybody or did you just, like, I mean, I know in the East you play these guys enough times you see them all and all the time, yeah. but, uh, like, did you, were you, like, a video guy at all or was it just, like, you know,
0: it was, uh, I would say it was mostly word of mouth or uh, articles in, you know, the WHL magazine. Yeah. But word of mouth for sure was the biggest thing. And uh, kind of my first taste of word of mouth was when I went to PA for camp. I remember checking into my billets and they kind of looked me up and down and said, oh so you're the tough guy and kind of looked at me like it doesn't look like much of a tough guy and then all i could hear about it must have been a pa medicine hat hatred or something but everyone i talked to in pa was like wait till you see Brasovsky.
1: yeah
0: and i so i'm like holy shit who's this guy and if you remember what he looked like back in yeah the western league oh yeah he looked like a he looked like a thirty-five-year-old man when he was sixteen, and yep. he was scary as hell. Well, he's a big dude too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I ran into him one time at a Flames game. He was mutual friends of ours that I played with uh, in Moose Jaw. He introduced me to him after. And I didn't recognize him because you know he had the handlebar mustache when he was twelve years old until he was twenty or thirty, and he had no mustache. And I'm like, I don't know who you are. So when he introduced me to him, I just kind of chuckled and, you know, just a great guy. But that image and that uh, uh, reputation that he had, it was awesome. Like, if you're picturing someone that should be on uh, Youngblood or Slapshot, like, that was him. Yep. No,
1: well, speaking of Medicine Hat, there you go. I mean, you look at that team, I mean, you had him and Dan Kordick and Brent Thompson and – you know, Lauren Tays, as we said earlier, and then another guy, old, uh, Clayton Norris, and I know you had a run in with him. Chuck Um, Norris. Yup, and of course, everybody listening, I mean, everybody knows Clayton Norris, he went on to have a long pro career. Um, that had to be something rolling into the hat, they didn't, uh, they had a pretty tough team.
0: Oh, man, like, that team was crazy big, and crazy tough. Like you said, there is, prosofsky cordick thompson Garbit uh taves uh norris like it was you know you, you talk about strength in numbers that was a team that uh if you had a couple tough guys okay no problem but after the one and two guys are gone then what well this team just had you know they just kept coming and a good team too they'd Chris Osgood and Nett and yeah. Brian McCabe played and Mike Ratchie played and
1: yeah. uh well they had like Jason Miller and Kevin Real scored like sixty goals
0: apiece and Rob right.
1: and David Cooper on the blue line and
0: Oh yeah. And uh, just going back to Spokane that year, I remember the feeling throughout the, the league. Once they traded for Trevor Kidd, it was like you guys may as well order the, the rings now. Like, that would just solidify their team to, uh, you know, be the favorites for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can remember, um, yeah, and like you said, then, the course of course, when the, yeah, the Memorial Cup, there's on TSN, you watch it, and they had that big line brawl with the Quebec team, and uh, <laughs> Toprowski just dummies that guy. Wow. Well, I think every Spokane, they were 5-0 and in the fights in that line brawl, with, punctuated <laughs> with Toprowski elbow smash from that guy, and, thumbing him in the eye and everything else, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, but, and like you said, he had Whitney and Falloon running around 150 points apiece, and, yeah, that's quite the team. Absolutely. But, but, uh, yeah, well, just, uh, well, we haven't even actually sitting there asking about everybody else, we actually didn't even talk about, uh, you know, uh, with your team, uh, like you said, with Kleitzel, I mean, with 100 points, and, and, uh, Kevin Smith, and, uh, Chris Schmidt, who uh, your first year had thirty four goals. Of course, he would go on to have sixty the next year. Um, and then, and like you said, with and I, and little, I've met Lauren a few times. Nice guy. I've always gotten along with Lauren. And uh, just overall, how was your experience in Moose Jaw?
0: You know what, my two years in Moose Jaw was fantastic. Uh, the fans embraced me uh, right from day one. And were always on my side. Uh, My teammates, same thing. You know, it it wasn't a a real highfalutin, uh, high profile team. So we were all kind of the same mindset, uh, which was nice. Uh, My time there was great. Uh, Obviously, some some pretty neat, unique people that played with the team. Uh, You mentioned Chris Schmidt. You know, this is no uh, slight on Schmitty, but he might have been the only other guy in the Western League that was a worse skater than I was, but his hands were absolutely magical. And he was so fun to watch, and he could just slow the game down to whatever pace he wanted to, and when he had a chance to score a goal, it was in the net. He didn't have to have a second shot at it. So he was uh, a pretty neat story for us, for sure. Kevin Smith... Uh, you know, he was a highly touted 16, 17 year old, uh, great ability, big and strong. Obviously his pro career was cut short with an injury, but, uh, um, yeah, he had a lot of pressure on him for a couple of years there. And, uh, that was kind of back in the day where, you know, we just played hockey We weren't at the gym for 10 hours a day. We weren't on uh, some nutrition program. We weren't talking to sports psychologists every day. Like, it was just a different era. So Smitty was a big rig, and, you know, if Smitty was playing pro hockey in 2010, Smitty would have been a different player than he was back in 90, 91, 91, 92. Just because fitness is... You know, he was so good, so big, so strong that without even really trying or putting any effort into it, he was just always able to succeed. Uh, But, you know, the game started changing and uh, he was still able to play at a high level just because of his his size, smarts, and and ability. But, uh, yeah, Smitty, uh, Smitty, I think, was a little disappointed. He was touted as... First rounder, and I think he ended up going third or fourth. I can't remember for certain, but uh, yeah,
1: fourth round, 79th overall to Hartford. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That uh, and that's obviously uh, was it Ryan Smith's older brother, right? Right. First, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I mean, I guess uh, well that would be your next year. I guess Ryan kind of showed up briefly. I, th- I guess he would have been an AP player.
0: Yeah, I remember Ryan at camp that next year and. Uh, and I, I remember one interview in the, uh, might have been the Hockey News even, they were interviewing Kevin Smith, and of course back then, a guy that size, they're asking about his physical play and do you fight? And I remember him saying, uh, no I don't, and really the only time I will is if someone picks on my brother. So <laughs> the next year at camp, Ryan there is a 15-year-old probably, and uh, running around a bit, and I remember Big Smitty getting a little fired up a couple of times because guys were playing physical against Ryan, but obviously Ryan, as he grew up, everyone knows he could handle himself, but that was just Big Smitty's demeanor. You know, he was not a physical guy and not a mean guy, and just because he happened to be 6'3", 240, doesn't mean he was going to be a fighter. It was just the way he was. So, yep. uh, yeah, we didn't really get to to see Ryan's uh, progression through the ranks. You know, he would come hang out in the dressing room when we were in Medicine Hat or Lethbridge, and you're just like, who's this skinny kid hanging out? Oh, it's Big Smitty's brother. <laughs> Next thing you know, he's lighting it up and having a hell of a career of his own.
1: Yes, he did. Well, just kind of going through uh, just through the team, I just want to throw some names at you and if you have any... Uh, I know in the, with the vagina pats, I mean, you, you know, obviously, you know, Sillinger and all those guys and Jeff Shantz and stuff. But one of the guys I want to talk to you is, uh, and you sent me the picture. Uh, well, that was another thing, anybody, for folks listening. Uh, <laughs> I had Kent going through all his stuff. I saw the Rubbermaid tubs all over the place dragging out pictures from, uh, from, uh, from all those years ago. And one of the pictures you showed me uh, yesterday was with your fight with Frank Kovacs.
0: Yeah, I, I really don't know. Well, I kind of do know how our little rivalry started. Obviously, Moose Jaw Regina rivalry was always there, and like even taking this back before I even played, I had cousins that lived in Regina, and I was there for camp, and they knew Frank. Yep. I don't know if they're just fans or or what it was, but that's all my cousins would talk about was Frank Kovacs, and. So, a couple years later, I'm playing against them. Anyways, my first game in Moose Jaw, when Regina comes to town, uh, there's a fight going on. Me and Frank just kind of grab onto each other, and not really doing anything other than watching the fight. Well, I had a fake tooth up front, and for whatever reason, Frank must have thought, hmm, I'm locked up next to this rookie i may as well get in a fight too so he kind of suckered me and knocked this tooth out so we had a little scrum there and from that time on not necessarily me personally but moose jaw had a vendetta (laughs) against frank kovacs (laughs) so of, of course i'm getting lots of uh uh needling and lots of uh people suggesting that this is who I should be focusing my attention on. Well, Frank's a 100-point guy. Kent Staniforth is a 10-point guy. So when we're playing in Moose Jaw, Mooner would make sure I was on the ice every time Frank was, and the whole rink would be all over Frank. Well, as if Frank wants to fight me when he's out there playing first line, minutes power play like it just doesn't make sense for him so uh of course mooner would love to see nothing more than me and frank fight again and uh so i was all over frank for the the whole year and finally at the end of the year her last game in regina he decides yep okay kid, i've heard enough of you yapping at me all year long let's go and so we fight again and that's from where that picture is from Yep, And so, of course, media after the game once to talked to me and once to talked to Frank, and uh, I give it the old, well, it took him 82 games to get the courage, but he finally did. And They ask him about the fight, and he's like, why the hell would I even want to fight this guy? He doesn't even play on the, doesn't even get any ice time. Why would I waste my time with, it? like, you know, the angle he's taken? Yep. So... It was uh, comical later on in the in the career to hear his thoughts because as if Frank Kovacs wants to waste his time on some tough guy that that really has no bearing on the uh, on the game. So I could see his his point. Although I literally had to spend the whole year feeling pressure to okay, you need to go fight Frank's. Okay, I'm going to go try and fight him. He's not going to fight me, but <laughs> so it was a bit of a. Uh, a mouse chase there all year round. But at the end of the year, Frankie said, screw it, let's fight. And we did. And, yeah, so that's where our our history went. And I've talked to Frank a couple times at some Warrior Pats uh, clash of the the highway battles there, too. So uh, it's pretty comical once it's all said and done. But in the heat of the battle, it's like, I don't really care who you are or what ice time you're getting. I want to beat the shit out of you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he was, man, he was a big dude and he, he could play. He had, he had a hell of a career. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, I can remember what, like coming into tune all the time and yeah, he had his way with the blades a few times. I can tell you that. Um, well, he
0: was a like back then when physical fitness wasn't like of high priority, he was a physical specimen. He was big and he was fit and, not a lot of guys were built like him and in that good a shape. So yeah he he was a he was a force out there for sure. Well yeah, and
1: I can remember Sass I mean we had the big defense, you know Buchanan right, Jeff Buchanan, and uh, yeah. who of course went on to have a have a solid pro career and was a tough dude. And he was a big guy. And I can remember that TSN game like Kovacs like just whipped him around. It was like holy shit, like okay, well <laughs> you know. But. uh well, before I get to too, I'm going to, uh, because this is where I saw you play all the time, obviously, because we went to games all the time, so I can remember you rolling into town. But one of the, t- um, Brandon, and there's two guys on Brandon I want to ask you about, and one that you will obviously have future, uh, be a future teammate with you and Lloyd, was, uh, and we talked about him before we got going, but was Glenn Webster.
0: Yeah, like, you know, you talk about guys like, Kordick and Prasovsky and Topper and you know all these guys that had the reputation. Webby didn't have that league-wide reputation and didn't really look like a big, tough, scary guy. And but obviously was a tough guy. And we ended up uh, hooking up one time, and it was just another pretty standard fight of mine where nobody really won or lost, but. Uh, fight two was in in brandon and obviously i wanted to i I felt like i should be beating this guy and i don't know the guy but for some reason i thought i should be beating him hands down so he's a big lefty uh and we dropped the mitts and we're kind of squaring off and and uh, getting ready to go well i came in with the biggest right he came in with the biggest left i missed with the right he hit with the left and i buckled luckily got back up but like i was telling you earlier that was the one and only time where i was close to being knocked out on the ice that is (laughs) and luckily was able to kind of shake it off and get back up and and finished the fight. He obviously won that fight. I didn't recover very well after that. And then uh, we fought a third time, which didn't really give me uh, retribution, but obviously felt like, okay, yeah, that was a lucky punch. Now this is is back to normal again. But he was a real unassuming, tough, left-handed fighter and should have had should have had a reputation in that league I don't know if he wasn't fighting enough Or what it was, but he should have Had a hell of a reputation in that league
1: Yeah, well, and then the other guy I wanted to ask you about, and he was in My episode, I believe, nine guest And everybody go back and check that interview out It was really good Was Dan Kopek.
0: Did you ever run Kopech. into Dan? <laughs> you know what the funny thing is I did, but not as a player. I was coaching senior AAA. He was playing. So I was coaching the Lloydminster Border Kings. He was playing with the Weyburn team, and we were down there playing in the Saskatchewan AAA playoffs. And I was a bit of a yapper, and I did lots of chirping, and uh, even when I was coaching, I had a big mouth, and... So he was a guy that I recognized on there, and he was kind of running around trying to run the show. And Well, we had not much toughness on a senior AAA team, so I was trying to uh, inspire my teammates from, from the bench, and Dan and I had a pretty heated conversation on the ice and then in the hallway. But I don't believe I ever fought him when he was playing in Brandon.
1: See, see, folks. Anybody out there? This is why drop your gloves going down and not existing anymore is awful. Because I used to you'd be able to click on that fight card, you could get it all. I could find out everybody you fought. Now with that site gone, it's like I'm I'm just sort of going by memory and uh, what I have on video, which isn't much of yours. And uh, so, unfortunately, I can't. I'd love to be able to just scroll through your fight card, but I know you had 60-some fights. I remember that, but it was like, yeah, uh, it's driving me nuts that I can't go through your fight card.
0: <laughs> well, and that thing, you know, You even for myself, you think you have a good memory and can remember all of them, and, well, Jesus, that's like 30 years ago. Exactly.
1: Yeah, you know, and, uh, but... Uh, but next well okay so next year 9192 now Lauren obviously gets fired or moved on or whatever and there's a new coach in town and people will know this name and I believe it was his first coaching job Mike Babcock shows up in Moose Jaw mm-hmm. Now you're coming in as a 19 year old um what uh, what were your first, Like, how did that camp go? What were your impressions of Babcock? What was the... Uh, did he lay out expectations for you? Or, and uh, how did that all go?
0: Well, I guess, first of all, uh, my relationship with Mooner was fantastic. Yep. And he was a player's coach. Cool, and he, he would have loved
1: you, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I spent my whole summer, and I actually reached out to him once, but I spent my whole summer waiting for a call to say that Mooner traded for me to Saskatoon, because that was the type of coach I needed to have to to be involved and, and to play and, and want to play. Uh, obviously, that never happened, and so Mike Babcock, weirdly enough, married a girl from Lloydminster, so... He's here visiting the in-laws one summer, and me and my buddies did quite a bit of misbehaving throughout the summer. And I remember getting a call in Lashburn one Sunday morning after an evening out with my buddies, and I answer it, and it's like, hi, it's Mike Babcock here. Yeah, I'm I'm at the cafe in Lashburn wondering if you'd come in and have a meeting. I'm like, oh, my God. I think I just got home three hours ago. I got to meet the new coach right now. So, anyways, I zip into town, have a quick little chat with with Mike, and didn't really think a whole lot about the meeting. Didn't really care a whole lot about it, uh, just because you know we didn't have a clue who he was, and you don't have the feeling like you run the the team. The players run the team, but you're like, oh, okay, well, whatever, new coach not going to affect me any. Uh so camp time comes and you roll in and everyone's doing lots of chatting and I remember like I never really fought at camp ever. And then once you start getting a little older and had some history of fighting, you wouldn't have to fight at camp, but I remember coming to camp that year and And there was a buzz around the rink and around some local guys from the team that were saying, oh, this young kid played midget double-A last year. He's coming in. He's telling everyone all summer he's going to fight Leighton and then Staniforth. And so I'm like semi-intrigued by who is this guy? And uh, anyways, camp gets rolling on. And Ian Leighton was a 16-year-old kid that played with us the year before, and he was... Uh, you know, just an average skill level, uh, strong. Did some fighting, just you know, just kind of an average all-around guy. Coming back for his second year, and I go to the rink. Layton's team's playing this kid's team first. Oh, okay. So the kid that was spouting off saying he was going to fight Layton and Staniforth calls on Layton. They drop their gloves at center ice. This kid one-punches Leighton out cold. So I'm sitting in the stand thinking, okay, maybe I better start paying attention here. I go down and see Leighton after the game, and he's like cuckoo. He doesn't know what day it is or what happened or anything. So the next day, it's our turn. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm not going to sit back and wait. I'm all over this kid's face and warm up telling him what's gonna happen and that I wasn't impressed with his outing yesterday. Like I just was up and down him like before the pucks even hit the ice for warm up. Every shift I'm out there and I'm all over him. I'm all and my coach, whoever that was, a scout of the team, like telling me You need to go test this kid out, you need to go test this kid out and then finally, I don't know, third period, the coach says, Okay, that's enough. He's not gonna fight. And that was when the kids camp was over. <laughs> but I was thinking, Holy shit, this guy just knocked out Leighton. Maybe he's legit. He was a big strong kid, but uh intimidation no. you know, he, that was a part of the game and a part of the game that I tried to to be good at and that was just a small example of how that can work against a young kid, just like it did with me and PA when three vets come into a dressing room and chew you a new ass for doing nothing, you know.
1: Yep. Well, like you said, it's a jungle, right? And uh, But that year, I mean, you guys have uh, well, Jezalowski's on the team. Dave Jezalowski, Um and, and, and an interesting character, UK fans will know this guy, and he ended up being a first round pick by the Oilers, was uh, Big Scott Allison. And uh, yeah. he and uh, solid junior career, and um, you know Bill Hoosen. You know, so I mean, you guys, uh, you definitely had some toughness. Um, what were your uh, What are your feelings on uh, on Scott Allison?
0: You know what? I really liked Ali. We had a really good relationship, and Ali's career kind of changed uh, after his draft. Like he was a A pretty skilled player that was well-rounded and later in his junior career uh i don't know if he just decided to or what it was but he was really focused on the physical game and he was fighting more than he should have and uh he should have been a real powerhouse offensively for us but like he's fighting guys like kale house and you know, guys that he shouldn't need to be fighting, but it was like he needed to prove a point that he could could play against these guys. Uh, but he was a hell of a hockey player and a good teammate and a tough guy, but we didn't need him to be tough. He should have focused on on his game, and, yeah, I, I don't know what it was that year. It was just that he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and wanted to just barrel his way through everybody, and uh, and just, you know, he didn't turn anyone down, and we, uh, we really didn't need him to do that, but...
1: Yeah. Oh, he should have picked the spots a little better, and...
0: Yeah. Yep. Well... And it was... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, years later, in 2007, we're in Stony Plain for the Allen Cup, yep. coaching uh, Lloyd Minster, well, who shows up on the team from the Maritimes but Scott Allison. He's playing. So we got to catch up that year and had some good visits, and it was just really neat seeing them back then.
1: Yeah, well, and like you said, and then, uh, well, again, I mean, it's the old Western League, so, I mean, you know, obviously toughness is everywhere. <clears throat> um, how did, uh, well, to go back to Babcock, I know, you um, know, how was your relationship? Like, did he play you a lot, or uh, was it pretty well selective shifts? Or how did you? How was your playing time under him?
0: You know what? It, it was a real tough year for me. Uh, I I had an A on my sweater, so I feel like right on. I'm yep. I'm going to contribute in some way. I'm a, if there's something I am. I'm a hell of a teammate. Uh, I'm not a selfish guy at all and will literally do whatever it takes to to put the team first, but Babs came from Red Deer College, so he was a college coach coming to the Western League and we got our asses handed to us. And, you know, it was almost like, no, I'm not going to uh, indulge in this type of, Game that's not how I think the game should be played, and but it still was being played that way. Yep. So uh, we had, even though we had guys like Ali and uh, you know Billy Hoosen, tough young guy, but you know not sound, he's not a Jason Prasowski. He's a young Billy Hoosen trying to cut his teeth. Uh, we had no toughness on that team, and he traded for kid from the West as Jarrett Zakuski. who he thought was going to give us some some toughness and Jarrett was a was a gamer but you know he wasn't someone that was ever going to go out and send a message or go out and intimidate the other team he was just a guy that would drop his gloves if challenged and you know that was it so uh we got out muscled that year big time and my playing time was was minimal that year and it was it was a tough year for me mentally uh just because there was games like literally you know game against swift current for instance uh highly skilled team uh there was one game i remember one game dressed that i didn't step on the ice and i'm like okay if this is the game the team we're playing against and this is the role i'm playing you obviously don't need me in this game. I'd rather, you know, I don't mind cheering everyone on, but maybe you could insert someone else against Swift Current and I'll play against Medicine Hat. So my uh, my opinion of Babs that year was, was not great, and at our exit interview that year, I just told him, I said, uh, I'm not sure I'm coming back, and if I do, uh, I'm not playing here. So he traded me to... Spokane that summer, and yeah, it, it took a little bit of took a little bit of wind out of my sails that year. It was just wasn't a whole lot of fun at times.
1: Yeah, well, that's and that's the thing, right? When You're getting, uh, when you're not getting. Everybody wants to play. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, you understood your role. You had 300 minutes, and you fought 30 times. I mean, you didn't have to be told that. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody wants to play. You know, like.
0: Yeah, and I knew I wasn't a, uh, at that point in my career, uh, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be a huge contributing factor, but uh, role players to be effective still need to be on the ice at certain times, and that might take a little effort from you, the coach, to manage ice time in that scenario. And I know that because I coached an awful lot of time and had players like myself, and you just have to find time to utilize them. Uh, if you think they're valuable to the team, you have to. It takes some time for you to manage that.
1: Well, yeah, you got to get them involved, and you know, you got to get into the flow of the game, and yeah, for sure. But uh, just kind of going through some of the rosters here, I'll just throw some names at you, you know. And uh, like you said with Prince Albert, I mean, with a tough team, I mean, you know, Dan Kessa, Dave Nielsen, Van Imp, Troy Hurtis, Jason Renard, Ryan Pisiak. I mean,
0: uh,
1: (laughs) well, uh, how is it rolling into PA and and facing those boys?
0: Well, you know, Dave Nielsen, for one, you know, there's a a guy that just looked the part, played the part, and, you know, for the most part, would scare the shit out of most people to the point that, no, I'm not going to fight you, Dave. Uh, And it was a little weird for me, having been there and then, playing against them, but uh, I'm just trying to remember. They are, no, uh, Jamie Linden. Yep. Jamie Trevor Linden, Linden got brother. traded. Yep. Yeah, he got traded, I think, from Portland out to PA. So we go into PA and uh, uh, rare event, but, oh, Stan of fourth year starting on the back end. Cool. get to start the game. I'm out there for first shift linden's first game with pa he's playing right wing the puck drops linden beelines it for me i don't even have the puck and i'm like thinking in my head i'm like hey buddy beat it i'm actually on the ice i got to start the game i might see some ice time tonight well he's just persistent so finally i'm like fuck whatever okay gloves are coming off and he's a a big lanky lefty and Kind of traded a couple of punches, and I switched to my right and I hit him and knocked him out cold. So I go to the penalty box. I turn around and look, and there's two raiders dragging him off the ice like he can't even hold his own weight. And I'm thinking, okay, I wonder what the next shift's going to be like out here. So there was a few guys looking for retribution the next couple shifts that game. But literally, I can say after that point, I didn't have a whole lot of issue playing against PA, and they had some tough guys. Like Jason Renard came in after that, and yep. uh, I did fight Dave Nielsen one time. But I wasn't. Uh, no one was getting too excited to to come call me on after that. Even though that was probably my only. Uh, Knockout punch ever in a fight. I'd been in lots. Don't get knocked out. I don't knock people out. But that was one that was just uh, a lucky or unlucky punch, and uh, it just kind of set the tone for that team, anyways, for the rest of that year.
1: Yeah, you just caught him in the right spot. But uh,
0: yeah. Well,
1: okay. So now Saskatoon Blades. Now being in Saskatoon, I went to I went to the majority of the games. I watched you play many times. And uh, Saskatoon, with like you said, with Lauren Coach, and certainly no shortage of toughness. And I know yeah. you had the running battle with the Golden Rhett, Rhett Trombley <laughs> and well, Mark Raider. There's another guy that sometimes gets forgotten <laughs> about, but another huge dude. And uh, I it was uh, pick your poison there. But we'll start with uh, with Trombley. I know you guys had a few battles. Um, how is it uh, stepping into the ring with the Golden Ret?
0: Well, that summer, that I'm hoping all summer long that I get a call from Mooner saying, "Hey, Stanny, I just traded for you. You're coming to Saskatoon." Well, that same summer, they acquired Ret from Tacoma, I believe, or oh, it was Victoria. God, I can't I think. remember. Yeah, somewhere out west. Yep. So, anyways, I didn't really know much about him at that point, but uh, Raider. Rader was the guy in the Blades organization since he was 14 years old. Everybody that ever went to a Blades camp that saw Mark Rader at camp knew that Mark Rader was going to play there, and he just turned into a big, solid, tough guy. But he was someone I remember seeing at camp like since I was old enough to go to camps. So having him there uh, to begin with, was one thing, but when they brought in Trombley, uh, it was just like double your pleasure. And for me, it wasn't all that pleasurable because, like I said, we had no depth in toughness. So I can't remember my first fight with Trombley, but uh, it might have been in Saskatoon, and I remember another one of those scenarios. And this was the classic old school way you don't see it anymore rarely ever see it but uh defenseman coach comes in before the game reads out the starting lineup and you find yourself starting the game on left wing okay well some people might not know why that's happening but guys in our (laughs) scenario certainly did know why that was happening and of course you step out and see Rhett Trombley on right wing so he was just so big and strong and almost unorthodox. He was tough to fight uh, because he was all those things put into one little bundle of toughness. Uh, he, he didn't fight with any kind of defense. He was just all offense. And, you know, I wasn't a huge guy. I was only one. So anyone six. Two, three, four—you're giving up some some length and fighting him and Raider. For me, it was like I have to fight him because that's my job. But it was uh, it was life or death against these guys. Uh, but you had to pretend that it was no sweat, and sure, I'll start on left wing and I'll fight Ret Trombley before the puck drops, and which was really unique too because for me. I go to Saskatoon for a game. That's close to home. It's the nicest rink in the Western League. My friends and family are coming from Lashburn to watch the game. Of course, we're going to fight. So the one time, uh, I'm not sure we actually fought right off the bat that game, but I remember later in the first game, we have a face-off right beside Saskatoon's bench. So my back's against Saskatoon's bench. Ray, or uh, Trombley's right beside me Mooner puts his foot on the on the boards leans over and says Stanny give Trombley a go so I look <laughs> back at Mooner smile, puck drops, we fight had a pretty good tilt right in front of his bench they break up the fight I look at Mooner and I said how's that Mooner he <laughs> looks at me he's smiling he's like that a boy Stanny and he's coaching the other team <laughs> he was just such an awesome guy it was you skate off to the penalty box kind of chuckling at how that just played out and you know how would his team or his player think about his bantering back and forth with an ex-player but to me that was just Lauren, even though he wasn't coaching anymore he was still if he liked you he was loyal to you and even though i had to fight is tough guy, he was still there kind of cheering you on, eh? Yep. So, yep. yeah, and then I think another game, right off the drop of the puck, I think we fought probably a second into the game. And, you know, he was not a guy that I was going to beat or ever come out of a fight and say, hey, I beat Rhett Trombley. And 99% of my fights, you could literally say that about, I, I'm not a guy that's going to... Knock anyone out, and I'm not a guy that's going to get knocked out. But I can stand in there and and fight with most of them. So,
1: well, because I, I can remember in the Star Phoenix in the paper, they're just they were pumping that fight up. And I remember it was on the they had the picture of it, and then they had Trombley and Raider actually like arguing in the newspaper who's going to fight <laughs> you. And, oh yeah, I remember they had tailed
0: the tape and yeah. <laughs> well, our uh, trainer. Our weight trainer back then, he got a like a weightlifter's belt and got it all done up like a heavyweight champs belt. And he gave it to me one time just because he was a fan of mine. Well, the first time Saskatoon comes to town, they start or they come over to do an interview, and uh, I can't remember who I was talking to, but they're like, Yeah, so uh, Mooner was just saying that they heard. There's a heavyweight belt in in the building, and uh, Trombley and Raider are both going after that tonight, and I'm like, holy shit, who even knew this belt existed, and now it's part of the media, and now i got to fight these two big behemoths? Like, what kind of night am I going to have? <laughs> so uh, that was the night I fought uh, Trombley once and Raider twice. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, anybody listed? Go to Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. Go to my YouTube page. I actually have those fights up on my YouTube page. Check them out. Um, some good tilts there. Uh, but yeah, like you said, that's that. That's a rough night at the at the rink for sure. Um, well, moving away from Saskatoon, just uh, kind of just go through a couple more, and then uh, uh, well, we still got to go to Alberta here. But uh, the Lethbridge Hurricanes had a cat. Um, I don't know if you, like I said, without the fight card, I don't know if you fought him, but did you ever fight Brant Myers?
0: I did. (laughs) I have some, uh, I have some great stories from Lethbridge, but the Brant Myers story was, uh, he was just, I'm going to say 16 years old probably and big, big and strong, but you know, just a relative unknown and he's out there. It's the last game before Christmas. We're on a road trip. So we're skating up the ice and, you know, just because this is how it used to work for no reason other than the fact that I'm our heavyweight, he's their up-and-coming heavyweight, I'm going to test him. So I'm following him up the ice, giving him a few whacks and an earful, and, like, he's not acknowledging me at all. He's just, like, focused on the puck. and Puck transitions, comes back the other way, and as soon as we... Start heading the other way. He grabs me by the shoulder and spins me around. I'm like, okay, it's going to be like that, eh? So uh, we spin around, traded a few punches, uh, break us up, go to the penalty box. I obviously must have been a what he would call a, a veteran with some experience and a reputation at that point because we're in the penalty box. And he looks over to me and he's like, good fight, eh, Stanny? Merry Christmas, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, to me, I look back at that. I'm like, here's this young kid just trying to make a name for himself and obviously he had some respect for the role and for me and thought he did pretty well in this little fight and thanked me for it and then wished me a Merry Christmas. Well, there you go. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't play against him once he started absolutely terrorizing the league, thank God, so... I I had him at a very young, young uh, age. So uh, a few other guys, unfortunately, had to handle him when he was a 20-year-old.
1: Well, I can remember him coming to Saskatoon later on, and him and Trombley got at it the next year. And like I said, we saw those fights, and Trombley didn't lose very many fights, but he could not beat Brant Myers. And the one night in Saskatoon, Myers buckled him on the second shot. That was like, oh, who is this guy? Like... You know, because yeah. up at that point we're like, oh, ret, you know, ret's the ret's the man, you know. And all, bam, oh, okay, well,
0: oh yeah, you know. Well, uh, Brandt he could equal or even overtake Trombley in size, and then you get a big, strong lefty like that. Like he was, uh, I think, just more physically uh, intimidating than Ret. Rhett was just a solid, naturally tough, crazy guy. Where Brant was a more of a physical specimen that was mean and wanted to fight.
1: Yeah. Well, another character on that team um, that I wanted to ask you about was Slade Stevenson.
0: Okay. Uh, I don't think I really have a whole lot of. Uh, I remember the name for sure. Yeah. But don't don't remember like I know I fought Pusher a couple times and. Uh, don't really recall any kind of interaction with Slate. I do remember the name for sure, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure I've got any uh, history on it.
1: Well, there's, uh, well, yeah, just going through their team, right? Yet like Rob Hartnell and Shane Peacock, and like you said, uh, uh, Pusher and Myers, of course, and uh, Lee Sorkan, and like, yeah, that that wasn't uh, that wasn't a soft team by any means.
0: Well, I'm just, uh, the other story from Lethbridge days. Yes. Like, 90-91, they had, I'm going to say, six or seven guys with 20 or more goals. Yeah. Like, they were stacked. Yes, And we beat Swift Current first round, and we're playing Lethbridge second round. And back then, well, Bob Laux Jr. was on my team, and Bob Laux Sr. was coaching Lethbridge. So uh, Bob Lokes, that might have been actually the year before, but Louksy was a tough bugger too. Like I would have loved playing with him every year. Another underrated tough guy for sure. But anyways, we're playing Lethbridge uh, in the playoffs. And Lethbridge benches, literally you could walk right through from visiting bench to home bench. There is no partition, no nothing. You could just walk right through. So, anyways, uh, early in the first, they score. Uh, they scored another one. Jason Ruff scored a third one, I think. So they're up three nothing. And Ruff skates by the bench and just chirping. And I, my gloves are off. I have one leg over the bench. I'm going to hunt this guy down. I just had enough. Mooner grabs me from behind, pulls me into the bench, and whispers in my ear just go through the benches. (laughs) So I'm like, okay. And Rob Reimer, who is our captain, and who is an awesome guy, and he happens to be a, uh, a Christian athlete, was up for Most Gentlemanly Player of the Year award, happens to be in the way between me and their bench and might have been pushed into their bench while I was trying to get into their bench. So as you can imagine chaos happens after that and benches are clearing and there's a five on five on the ice and we're fighting in their bench and there was maybe a time when we were running around behind the benches trying to get into the bench from the back like it was just chaos this is playoffs so first period's over i think we're losing 4-1 we're all sitting there me and rob reimer and another couple guys get kicked out and Mooner comes in after the first period we're down 4-1 in the playoffs if you ever saw Mooner mad like his eyes were terrifying his face was beat red and his eyes were like ready to kill you and he does about three laps around the room and we're thinking oh my god he is gonna kill us well he does his three laps stops looks at us good fucking period boys <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that's not the—that's uh, not what I thought the coach was going to say at that point. But uh, I kind of had a little chuckle. Rob Reimer was horrified because he's up for Lady Bing of the Year and just got kicked out of a playoff game. Uh, so Rob Reimer played the next game, and I got suspended for seven. Oh. <laughs> so when's the playoff. So that was a bit of a hairy day. Yeah.
1: Okay, uh so you got the uh the playoff game, you get the or you get the uh seven game suspension. Uh and you had the follow up to that story?
0: We uh yeah, we came back to Lethbridge for can't remember what game it was, game four, and when we came to the rink to unload our gear, hurricanes were out having their morning skate. So you know, you're playing the role and always trying to play the intimidation card. So I go strutting out onto the bench right in the middle of their practice. And little Brutus, Bob Louk's uh, senior, skates over and he's like, Stanny, you bring your paintbrush? And I'm like, what? I said, you bring your paintbrush? I said, no, why? Well, we built walls between the benches, thought maybe you wanted to paint them for us. He says they're called the Stanny Walls. <laughs> so after that first game, we come back and there is no more getting into the other bench without going on the ice. So we had a chuckle over that one.
1: Well, there, hey, there you go. You're uh, you're a, a pioneer, a trailblazer.
0: <laughs> Just trying to help out the renovation at the arena. Well, for future generations, there you go.
1: Uh-huh. Well, just kind of going through the rosters of the different teams. I mean, we gotta we've got of touched on all the big names, but one of the names I wanted to ask you about because um, again, pre-internet and everything else, and the the stories of this guy were coming from Ontario. It was like, holy, the boogeyman was coming, and uh, him and Trombley ended up having a big flop. But yeah, I know we played uh, 20 games in Regina. Was uh, Mark Crespane. Oh,
0: or Mike Crespane, Pardon me. Yeah, Mike. Well, I think uh, partly because of the Stanaforth-Kovacs scenario, Regina was trying to find someone to uh, alleviate some pressure there. So I I remember a front-page picture in the Leader Post Sports of their new tough guy, this Mike Crespain, and there he is lifting a dumbbell with his hat on backwards, missing tooth in front, and just looking and playing the role like you wouldn't believe. Yep. So, you know, you, you obviously have to have some caution when they're bringing in a new gunslinger, but we literally were playing him the next night. So he comes into Moose Jaw, and, you know, I'm not the type that's going to wait for him to to draw the card I was on the offense right off the bat, and he was uh, no late in the shift. I'll I'll let you know. No, no, not ready. So he gave me excuses all night long. Never happened, never happened, Uh, didn't happen that night, and then I think that was maybe uh, soon after that was when they were playing Saskatoon. I think it was a TSN game. Yep. And I think that's when Trombley maybe gave him a licking. And his career was pretty short-lived in in Regina. So we never, ever did fight. Uh, I certainly tried initiating that, and he had all kinds of excuses. And just fast-forwarding that a few years, when I came back to Lloyd in my 20-year-old season, he was playing in Fort Mac or Bonneville. I can't remember. Well, he was chit-chatting like we were best buddies, and I was still trying to fight him. And finally, one game, I just said, you know what, man? I'm I'm trying to give you an option here, because either you're going to fight me or you're going to fight Webster. And who who would you like to? And he never would fight me, and if, I'm not sure Webby ever got a hold of him, but he, he just... Ended up being one of those guys that looked the part, talked the part, but just couldn't really, just didn't back it up. Yep. Well, so I think his career in the dub was pretty short.
1: Yeah, like twenty games, and that was, uh, and that was about it. I know he, um, he, uh, yeah, like you said, he came with the big uh, with the big rep from uh, from Ontario, and uh, I actually have friend of mine knows him from Ontario and I remember he actually I have video of him fighting in junior A out there and uh, yeah. yeah he pumped a few guys actually so it was like all right you know and uh but yeah he had uh fought a few times in the Western League but uh yeah I know the uh the media hype around that was something I'll tell you
0: but I remember that Yeah I'm sure I'm sure he felt a lot of pressure coming in and oh, you yeah. know he he looked the part he was a big mean-looking bugger but uh, I don't know, pressure maybe got to him or, or something. It just didn't work out for him.
1: Yep. Uh, there's was a lot of big dudes waiting for him, right? Yeah, so it was... Uh... But another guy in that Regina team that, of course, would go on to have a big, long, and uh, a solid NHL career uh, was Jason Smith. Right. Um, how's it just, uh, you know, you go back and you think of playing against these guys and... Uh, I was always, the reason I I was just a big Jason Smith fan, I just, uh, I mean, not saying fight-wise against him or anything, but uh, I know just, you know, against Regina, and you having your battles, I mean, you know, you obviously got to watch him a lot.
0: Yeah, and, you know, he was a a young guy then, so uh, we obviously didn't know what his future held for him, but he was someone that came in to that camp. I remember a couple kids there i'm getting you know we're getting dressed for for the scrimmage and him and there's one other young guy can't remember his name but literally walked into the room and the pats trainers came in with full bags of gear set it in front of them like here you guys have made the team already and i'm like ooh, this guy must be somebody special and he ended up being uh obviously a hell of a player and he he was gritty and tough and not a a huge guy not a mean guy but you didn't you didn't take liberties when he was around or on him because he was not afraid to to stand up for himself and you know what his NHL career looked like like he was Mr. Sandpaper and you know that started out young for him and didn't take him long to really uh, get a reputation as a a solid player but yet someone that you you want to make sure you Behave yourself around.
1: No, absolutely. Well, so now, like you, you were saying before with Babcock, I mean, it's the end of the year. Um, you kind of uh, lay it out that uh, you're not really interested in coming back, and your and your um, your exit meeting was not uh, was not a pleasant one. Um, just looking back on it and just thinking about it, I mean, c- could you imagine that he was? All these years later, we're going to still be talking about Mike Babcock? Um,
0: no, and you know what? I, I didn't give him a lot of thought back then, but what I will say and what I do remember, uh, I had some pretty legendary local coaches or Saskatchewan coaches uh, in my time with Stan and Norm. Anyone that's played in Saskatchewan or against Saskatchewan knows Stan and Norm from our era for sure. Uh, but out of all the coaches that I played for, you know, Mooner, Mooner was just a motivator. He was a player's coach. Babcock was, you know, so far ahead of the time back then with preparation and, uh, you know, the drills that he was implementing into practices. Like he was, from what I had seen up until that point, it was just such a different style. So, you knew there was something special in that regard for him. Just unfortunately, uh, with him having his first year in the Western League, you know, not only for a first-year player but a first-year coach back then, when it's just a battle, you, you have to have some awareness of the the grinding tough scenario uh, and you can input some of your new age thinking. And like I said, he was just so far ahead of everybody I'd seen at that point for, uh, what his style was and what his preparation going into was. And, uh, looking back now after having coached a while myself, uh, yeah, he was, he was a pretty intense individual for sure. Yep. Well, Well, so your 20 year old year,
1: um, you end up with the uh, Lloyd Minster Blazers of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Back to Junior A as a twenty-year-old. How did that? How did you end up in Lloyd, and were you happy with that, or uh, how did that all come about?
0: Well, I, I came back home, and I was a little deflated, and uh, you know, instead of saying I got something to prove against the world, and I'm going to go do this, and Come back and be this, but you know I was just—I uh, kind of had enough. That was enough for me. So I come home, end up getting a uh, summer job at the place that I'm currently an owner at, which is really weird. I got a summer job and forgot to leave. Uh, <laughs> but the owner of that place, Rocky Kyle, was also the assistant coach of the junior team. So I'm suspecting, in hindsight him offering me a job was his way of maybe potentially having me stay and play my 20-year-old season in Lloyd. Uh, so like I had mentioned, he traded my rights to Lethbridge, pardon me, Spokane, and I had a real interesting summer working in the shop, uh, because Brian Maxwell was still coaching there, and Brian called me at the shop multiple times, uh, Doug Sauter stopped at the shop. He was coaching East Coast at that point. He was traveling through town, stopped at the shop to try and convince me to go play in the East Coast. Mike Brophy called me a few times at the shop, trying to get me to the East Coast. Like it was a real interesting year of opportunity. That in hindsight, uh, yeah, I really I struggled with my decision of not jumping at one of those opportunities. But, yeah, I was just, my mindset was was not in a good place. I decided to stay and play in Lloyd. And, yeah, it, it was a few years of me regretting some decision-making uh, at that stage. And, you know, I probably wasn't a super great acquisition for the Lloydminster Blazers at that point either. Even though I had played two years in the Western League, I was not coming in... Uh, with the best mindset to be a real great team player, so it probably wasn't best for them. Probably wasn't the best thing for me, but uh, yeah, it was. It was some tricky times back then.
1: Well, and like you said, like you know, obviously mentally, just with the role, it's just so <clears throat> it's just so demanding, right, and tough. And uh, and like you said, the last the, the last season of Moose Jaw, not uh, you know, kind of really getting you know. The piece of meat treatment, and uh, yeah, I could definitely see how it would kill any... Uh, kill the passion for it, for sure. But, um, so as a 20-year-old, you're in Lloyd, but you're, there's an interesting player on Lloyd with you. Your D partner is a young 15-year-old named Wade Redden. Um, could you see it right then, how special he was?
0: Yeah, you know, he had no idea what the potential was but you definitely knew at that stage uh he was going to go play well he was going to have his choice of where he wanted to play and uh he actually started the year skating with the junior b team if you can imagine and then i think we you know maybe a month into it we brought him up and you know 15 years old his his ability and his composure with the puck was like a a 20-year-old. It was so fun to watch. And, uh, yeah, literally people would be asking, you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to play in the Western League? Is he going to get a scholarship? And it was just one of those scenarios where whatever he decides he wants to do, he's going to excel at it. And, yeah, it was a pretty pretty neat experience. If there is anything that came out of that year, uh, being able to say, that I played with Wade that year was pretty neat.
1: No, absolutely. Well, and a character we had talked about, you had talked about earlier fighting him and everything else, now all of a sudden he's your teammate, um, was Glenn Webster, who uh, went on to put up 455 minutes of penalties <laughs> in 37 games that year. And, um, well, the two of you stormed through the league, and it was funny because last night you had sent me a few newspaper articles from that time. Uh, just kind of reading them, the kind of the theme in the articles was basically that the refs really kind of had it in for you guys. Do you uh, do you still believe that? Did, like just look, you know, thirty years later, or
0: uh, how yeah, you know what, you guys? <laughs> uh, like for me personally, I would say that was uh, definitely part of it. Like I had. I don't know, 300 and some odd minutes that year, but I bet you I had three fighting majors. So you can imagine how many two-minute penalties that I took that year just because. Yeah. So even if you earned half of them and the other were earned by reputation, it was, uh, it was a shitty year in that regard. Uh, but Guess what? You earn a reputation, and then you got to live by it. So, uh, people look at my penalty minutes that year and like, "Oh, jeez." But literally, like I say, I'm not sure I had more than three or four fights that year. So it's kind of, kind of. Well, like I said to you, like I said to you last night. Yeah, you guys had
1: to have some solid penalty killers.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, some of the penalty killers loved us because. uh, they might not have played a whole lot of five on five, but they sure saw a lot of ice time, killing penalties. So, but we had a a crazy tough team, not just with Webby, who was definitely the heavyweight champ of the league, because he had played there the year before. Uh, we had a couple buddies of mine, Trent Coughhammer, who ended up getting traded to Fort Mac. Uh, We had a young kid by the name of Rhett Dudley that came in, who was a young kid but tough as nails. Uh, Bill Zaff, who was a kid that uh, unfortunately ended up getting traded out to BC and was hit from behind and paralyzed later in his career. Uh, Another crazy tough guy. Uh, We actually traded for Dwayne Reinhart at one point, which literally put us over the top on just crazy toughness, but Rhino and Patty McGill didn't see eye to eye, so Rhino's stint in Lloyd was, was pretty short-lived. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was I don't want to call it a, a waste of time that year, but, you know, I, I kind of feel like I, I didn't let the team down, but I really didn't give that team what I could have just because of... <laughs> Where my mind was at after the year previous, so it was some fun times. But in hindsight, I would have really liked to have finished out my 20 year old season, maybe with another team, but it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, um,
1: well, you know, here I am. and I completely forgot about bringing this up. About and I tweet. I tweeted this and everything this morning that this letter in the Western Hockey League. We got to go back for a sec. <clears throat> I'll read this letter for everyone. This is uh, You had sent me a picture of this. I'm writing to express my... This is from the uh, league commissioner. I'm writing to express my concern regarding your actions following your game with Swift Current on February 11th. I think you realize that the WHL tolerates a lot of things while the game is going on. However, when the game is over, the tolerance ceases. On occasions, there are there're going to be words between opponents following a game but for a player to take and grab an opponent and put him up against the wall is beyond belief you are being suspended for only two games because this is the first time <clears throat> you have done such a thing i trust that you understand such a similar incident occur in the future uh there'll be well no oh now my phone shut off there'll be no alternative but to levy a much longer suspension okay What's the story behind that?
0: <laughs> uh, well, this was one of those Swift Current games where my ice time is pretty limited. And like I had mentioned before, I was I was not a cheap player, but I did like to chirp. I was good at it. I liked to do it, and <laughs> uh, it just it was just part of the, the role, part of the package. So anyways, we're playing Swift Current and uh, Trent McCleary, who was a pretty damn good player and a pretty uh, elite chirper himself, uh, was running around and had lots to say that night and (laughs) uh, I was giving it to him, they had a face-off right in front of the bench so I was like right in his ear and he said something like, why don't you get a shift and I said, I just need one. And as soon as I said that, Mooner kicks me in the ass, and I hop over the boards and line up next to him, and I said, this one will do. So puck drops, and he changes. He's off the ice. He's I'm out of here. So shit's going on throughout the game, and uh, he's running around chirping again, but just won't do anything about it. And I don't know what was going on that night, but I was just, not impressed not in a good mood and that didn't happen on the ice like i wanted it to so when the game was done i showered quickly i was up in the lobby waiting for the swift current broncos to come up the stairs and when they did i grabbed mr mccleary and threw him up against the wall and had a few words for him and i look over my shoulder wondering who's gonna maybe be coming to his assistance and the whole team just standing there watching this happen and nobody said or did anything and I didn't do anything other than grab them and kind of roughed him up a bit and told them what I thought of his, <laughs> his actions on the ice and that was it. So Brent billido was playing there then and I'm thinking, holy shit, Bilodeau is going to come up the stairs and probably knock me into next week. But literally nobody did a, darn thing for him. Anyways, I thought nothing of it. I I knew it was stupid and ridiculous, but there was no one there other than me and their team. But obviously somebody made a call to Mr. Dirksen and we got some mail in the letter. Or a uh, letter in the mail. <coughs> well, but yeah. two two games.
1: Yeah, two games. Yeah, can you imagine that happened now? Oh my god, they throw the book at you. But um I was going to say, yet nobody coming in. That uh, that sort of speaks volumes. I don't know. Maybe they didn't like him, or they were scared of you. I don't yeah. know.
0: <laughs> yeah, good point. Maybe but, he wasn't the fan favorite in that room.
1: Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, well, so uh, I, <clears throat> you had mentioned you were uh, you would uh, you got into coaching. Um, before that, did you play any senior at all, or did you just go to coaching?
0: Yeah, I kind of. Tiddled around with senior a little bit. I played, uh, actually, right when I was done, my 20-year-old season, I got a phone call one night, and it was my old buddy, buddy uh, Trevor Converse. And him and a bunch of the old boys, like Martin Smith and Tyson Schneider and these guys, were all playing senior in Unity. And he's like, hey, Stanny, you want to come play some senior? And I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. bunch of my old teammates from Battleford. And they were playing uh, in the Wild Goose, which was a pretty good league. Yep. So I decide, sure, I'll play. Well, we go down to Crobert. So I guess I'm 22 now. Go down to Crobert for an exhibition game. And I think I'm playing senior. We have a pretty good team and, you know, a bunch of old tough guys, but decent hockey players exhibition third period's halfway through trevor converse is our player coach so connie calls a timeout so we all come to the bench and kind of wondering what's going on Well connie pulls a old normie johnson trick and says <laughs> okay last exhibition game puck hits the ice i want everyone's gloves on the ice and i just started laughing i'm like oh my god connie playing senior hockey here and this is how we're going to go. Okay, well here we go. So next shift we have a line brawl, <laughs> and uh, it was really fun playing with those guys. And we had a pretty good team, and we had a hell of a tough team. But I just couldn't stick with it. It was everything was away. You had to drive everywhere. I was working and living in Lloyd, and it just wasn't handy. So played a little bit uh, there. I played a little bit in Lashburn. I played in Maidstone but nothing really serious in the senior world. Yep. So
1: <clears throat> but in senior hockey and uh, I mean the Canadian folks listening will know but uh, for the American folks um, is the Allen Cup. That senior teams from around Canada, you know, play in their in their leagues and they all vie for a chance to go to the Allen Cup. It's been around since like it's almost older, I think it might be older than the Stanley Cup, almost, I think it's like 1909, or some ridiculous back in the day, but it's a big deal in senior hockey, and a lot of these senior teams, like you said, yet you could have old pros on there, and, uh, old junior, and junior guys, the, the talent level in, in, senior hockey is, is high, like, and, uh, you know, and teams will throw, throw guys some bucks, and whatever on the, keep it on the down low, but, uh, I, know, I don't know if senior hockey is as strong as, it, I haven't followed it, but I don't think it's as strong as it used to be. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, at one time, I know there was uh, some, some pretty good uh, chunks of change going around uh, to recruit players, and I know you won the Allen Cup as a coach, uh, coaching Lloyd um, in 2007? Right. Well, how was that experience?
0: You know what? It was the most amazing year uh, for me being involved in hockey, for sure. Uh, I had just finished... I had coached Midget AA. Then I coached... I was an assistant coach with the local junior team one year. Uh, That year, actually, Scotty Hartnell played with us as a 15-year-old. And then I coached the junior B team for about eight years. And then... Uh, at that point, I just kind of said, oh, okay, I'm done. A bunch of my buddies were playing on the senior team. They convinced me to to come out and, and coach their team, and I was humming and hawing and finally decided, sure, I will. And I, I still remember leaving the rink after my first practice with them, being so excited and impressed at how that practice went and their skill level and their uh, work ethic, it was fantastic. And we just kind of floated through that year. Uh, you know, we, we weren't playing in a A league. We were playing just in a Saskatchewan league. And we literally lost one game in overtime throughout the year. And then come tournament time, we lost the first round robin game to Bentley and that was the only game we lost all year. Oh. And just kind of slid in under the radar and and had a good group of guys that meshed well. And, you know, for me, it was neat because, like I said, Scotty Allison was there with the team from out east, and Kevin Smith was there playing with Bentley. And it was just a real neat experience. And to, to come out of there having won it, uh, yeah, it's. You know, it it really rejuvenated my interest in in the game and my passion for the game. So,
1: yeah, pretty neat. Well, and and like you said, I mean, for for senior hockey, I mean, that's the Stanley Cup of the senior hockey, and it's a big deal. And, uh, no, that's huge to win it. And like you said, and like the Bentley Generals, it's a legendary senior team. And, uh, you know, you got Dundas and all them. I mean, um, people, if anybody out there has read the, Theron Flurry book. He, he talks about playing for the horse Lake thunder. There's another team that they went for the right. Allen Cup, and they had him and Ojik and Parsons, and that that whole that whole gong show.
0: But um, yeah, it was <laughs> well. The, Lloyd Lloyd was hosting that year when they came to the Allen Cup.
1: Exactly. That's where I was going. Yes. Well, i was assuming yeah. you were obviously there.
0: Yeah, and you know what, Ojik was. We were thinking, ah, this is awesome. Like, this tournament is going to be sold out big time. Theo's got a Stanley Cup ring. He's got an Olympic gold medal. He's going to come in and just own this town. But he came in with a real terrible attitude uh, and kicked everyone off in town right off the bat. And they played Lloyd first game, so the big home opener game. And Parsons takes out... Uh, one of Lloyd's best players with a a big hit. So, like, they were abusive. This team was designed to win uh, seven-game series, not to win tournaments. Because they were like, we're going to abuse the hell out of you, and then we'll win the next game. But in a tournament-style championship, you don't get that opportunity. And uh, Ojik was an absolute gem that whole week. He was hard-working, skilled, uh, respectful. Like, he was fantastic. And then you had the Lakovics, and then you had Theo. Yeah. And, the, like, oh, my God, it was quite a quite a side show that week.
1: Well, Lakovic put on a show?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, they were just running around, like like I said, like they are playing a best-of-seven. When you can sacrifice, you know, a penalty or a game to send a message, uh it just doesn't work in tournament style play and they ended up losing and yeah things went upside down once they lost out in the in the semis
1: yeah i was going to say i'm sure they probably didn't go out quietly i'm sure they probably wanted to take <laughs> take a piece of take a piece of meat with them
0: yeah for sure but there is no team around that would have beat them in a the best of 7 no team would have wanted to play them in a best of seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have just. Been. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, well, there we go. the The tale of Kent Staniforth. Um, well, like you said uh, when you were twenty, there. Uh, I mean, you know what? Oh, the yeah. I guess it's the road not ta- not traveled, and uh, you know, you don't have regrets looking back. I mean, that doesn't get you anywhere in life. But uh, is there a part of you that wishes you had had, had played the pro, tried pro? Or was your mind just yeah. not, your, or you just didn't have that mind space at that time?
0: Well, you know what, people from back in that day would definitely remember this name. He was a an agent that tried to sign every player in the whole Western League, Art Breeze or Fart Sneeze, whatever you want to call <laughs> him. Uh, so anyways, he did some work for me and uh, ended up getting me an opportunity to skate as a free agent with the Oilers but I was I guess I was smart enough to know at that point that I just didn't have what it took away from the rink to get myself in a position to really take advantage of that opportunity uh but yeah I certainly I spent a lot of time regretting that missed opportunity and you know just at one point recognized that uh you know that was for a reason i knew i wasn't going to to be in a position to really take advantage of it and i didn't want to embarrass them i didn't want to embarrass myself and uh you know you always question your own ability and even though if i would have taken advantage of that i would not have been going there as a hockey player i would have been going there as a as an enforcer and a, and a fighter strictly, but still to be sitting here today saying that I had gone to that camp and maybe even played an exhibition game or a uh, regular season game and fought a uh, Louis DeBrusque or whoever might have been trying out at the same time, that would have been pretty cool too. But uh, yeah, it, it is what it is and better things were ahead and I do think I need to mention a good friend of mine and yours that we haven't mentioned yet back in the Alberta days, and we had a young kid by the name of Jeremy Thompson playing with us. Oh, that's right, yes. (laughs) Tommy was a little firecracker, and seemingly, any game that Webby got in a fight, a shift or two later, Tommy was fighting. And it was hilarious because Tommy just—he was like a mini Webby. So anytime Webby fought, Tommy was fighting, and Tommy would fight anybody and everybody, and didn't care, and was laughing the whole time. He was just a real entertainer back then, and I've been lucky enough to run into him now and again, and and have chats with him. But he was a real character, and obviously went on to have a pretty unique career of his own. So. Uh, yeah, him, him, him and Rocky, players.
1: that's a hell of a tough brother combo, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's some some awesome stories of that family. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Hey, uh, one guy I wanted to ask you about, it would have been obviously with, with, during your coaching, and uh, I'm sure you saw him uh, was a cat that played in the Alberta League for a couple years and junior there. Uh, Fraser Flippick.
0: You know what? Uh, I watched Fraser a lot. Uh, I didn't interact or i wasn't coaching when he was here but uh i'm still stunned at the fact that that little guy was as tough as he was like i I can't even believe that he was the guy that he was and the first time i started hearing stories about him i'm like that's that's not who you're talking about like the guy's 160 pounds but (laughs) like you want to talk about internal fortitude and toughness like I, I still watch some of his fights on YouTube once in a while and it's absolutely amazing what he was able to do.
1: <clears throat> yeah, he carved that niche out there with the Colorado Eagles in the Central League and I think he played the six just the six pro seasons there and uh dude's a hero out there. I know that. He was loved oh. out there. But oh, and I absolutely. wish there was more video of him, but I know talking to Les Borsheim who played with him and stuff and his friends with him to this day. He was just like the guy's a you know, raised by wolves, man. The guy's an animal. And yep. he put he put the hurt on a few guys a lot of guys
0: absolutely well he's like a, like a Trevor Sen like center yep. was back then was not a big guy like he might have got a little thicker as he got older but when I played against him he was a fairly small guy but you're wiry you got good balance and can take a punch that makes you pretty scary on ice.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I was going to ask you. I know I have a few listeners out there that are big like jersey collectors and jersey guys, and they love the Enforcer jerseys. <clears throat> One of them was alteration. Did you do anything specific to your jersey? Did you have any uh, John Cordick Velcro tearaway sleeves or anything?
0: <laughs> no, nothing at all. I was. I had no. Uh, I had no style. I had no <laughs> game plan. I had no uh, technique. I was just. Uh, I was just drop the gloves and go, and I I wasn't a guy that put a lot of thought into how I can get an upper hand, and I'm just, okay, if you're tough enough to stand in here and trade punches, then that's what you're going to do. I was good enough and able to throw both hands, which saved me in some scenarios, but as far as any tricks of the trade with jerseys or anything like that, I didn't have any, and for the most part, I don't remember fighting anyone, where after it, I was like, huh, that dirty bastard. <laughs> he, uh, he he wasn't wearing this, or he didn't have a tie-down, or, you know, I think everyone was pretty pretty fair for the most part. But uh, another guy that I know you've talked to that I didn't play against, but I was coaching in the, I was an assistant coach with the local team in the AJ when Chris Waltz was playing for Fort Sask. Yeah. And I I probably drove that guy absolutely nuts because we had no toughness on our team, but I was yapping at him all the time like I was still playing the game and like I was still on the ice. And I know I drove him nuts more than one time, but it was pretty neat seeing some uh, stuff with, with him uh, on Twitter for sure because he was a... Scary looking and scary playing beast, and looks like he had a pretty neat career himself. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, he uh, yeah he t- tore up the minors. A lot of fights for sure. Hey, do you <laughs> speaking of Alberta? Do you remember Brad Lambert? Brad Lambert played in the he, he he left and played in the Quebec League for a couple years, but I heard like he had a big rep coming out of. Uh, I think he played in Brooks. I'm trying to think, it would have been about o three, o two o three okay. around there.
0: No, can't say that they do. No,
1: mm, okay. No, it's just it's too bad because that back then the like the junior A footage and well uh, oh, even information it's just so hard to find. Um, right. Yeah, but uh, but that was uh, well, man. I can't uh, thank you enough. This is a great interview and uh, for and uh, while well, I just hey, what what's Kent Staniforth doing now? Let the people know.
0: Well, I, uh, I'm the owner of Fountain Tire in Lloyd Minster, which is the place that I got my summer job about 28 years ago. Uh, and yeah, I've got three semi adult daughters, happily married. And I love the old school hockey stories that you like sharing and like telling. And uh, you and your. Your Twitter handle is kind of the reason why I enjoy Twitter, and I love connecting with other guys because of what you're posting. Uh, I love the violent gents uh, world. Uh, I love that old-school hockey, even though when you look back and talk stories from those days, they they almost seem somewhat barbaric. But we all survived them. We all had fun with them, and... uh, Yeah, life is good. Yeah,
1: well, and uh, and that's a heck of an operation you got out there for those folks. Last summer when I was heading up to see my buddy in Edmonton, I stopped by Kent's place there, and you guys were just doing reno's at the time, so it was all kind of uh, uh, saw the you know the the sawdust was flying at the time. I'm sure it, uh, but it looked like a, a hell of an operation, and you had some cool stuff in your office in terms of jerseys and everything else. And uh, and I can't thank you enough. you actually got me a really cool Ice Guardians poster that you were at the debut in, uh, in Edmonton and got it all signed up for me. But uh, one of the characters, we can't leave without mentioning, one of the characters that works for you at the shop is former Boston Bruin, Skip Craig.
0: <laughs> well, Skipper is probably one of the most well-known guys in the country around here and uh skipper is now retired uh but you finally got him to retire well unfortunately he had a minor heart attack last fall and Uh even though he doesn't want to slow down it's time that he does and uh he still pops into the shop probably three or five times a week but you want to talk hockey stories from the good old days he's the guy to do it and He actually stopped by today and was telling me uh, one of his very best friends is Jerry Cheevers, and Cheesy's wife had just passed away, and he just told me today that uh, Cheesy and Bobby Orr are putting on a charity golf tournament down in Boston in September that he's thinking about going to. So Skipper's got some pretty uh, high-profile... Buddies on the speed dial still. Well, that's
1: pretty cool. Um, well, oh, and I got to ask you because you had, you put the picture up on Twitter. <clears throat> Link Gates was in your shop.
0: <laughs>
1: did you know him before that? Like, how did that like, how did that all happen?
0: You know what? I've had some pretty uh, awesome visitors stop by here, and you know, I feel pretty privileged. I might be one of the only. Few guys on your follower list that actually got to meet the the man himself. So thanks for stopping in; that was great. Uh, but I've had Wade Redden, who is still a good friend of mine, popped in uh, with his buddy Jordan Tutu not too long ago. Uh, the Hansen brothers stopped here for a visit one day.
1: I saw that. Yeah.
0: Uh, but Link Gates. He walked in with another guy, and he walked, as soon as he walked in, I knew exactly who he was. Oh, yeah. And he went to the bathroom, so I go ask his buddy, I'm like, that's Link Gates, isn't it? He says, he he smiles, says, yep. And I'm like, do you think you'd mind if I uh, got a picture with him? No, I don't think so. So he comes out of the bathroom, and thinking nobody in this place knows who the hell he is, and I come and grab him out front, and have a chat and ask for his picture and uh yeah like when i was young and getting ready to have my first child i'm like told my uh, wife i said if it's a boy his name is link i'm like i'm naming him lincoln that's what it's going to be and nobody knew why but i just thought back then tough hockey and the tough players like you had the grim reaper and charlie manson and like it was just such a folklore back then i yeah. thought link gates was the coolest name around plus he was tough as nails and it was just really neat that uh, he stopped by and links post hockey career hasn't treated him really well he's had some some tough times but he was really uh, nice and genuine to talk to that day and for me it was pretty pretty neat that he was in my shop
1: yeah, well, he actually in the he looked pretty good in the picture. Like uh, I'd seen him a few years before that, and you know, you know, really out of shape, and you know, and everything else. But he actually looked yeah. a little like kind of cleaned up, and uh, you know, uh, he had it looked like he had lost weight and everything from the last time I had seen him. But yeah, it was yeah, just so I, I odd would... to all of a sudden see this picture of like you and Link <laughs> Gates. I was like, what? And, like, yeah,
0: well, I got a kick out of that when I posted that because you know, without. Uh, a guy like you and a few other guys nobody that follows me would have a clue who that was so i just kind of posted it to see how many people would be asking who the hell is that <laughs> so i got i got a kick out of the fact that how do you not know who the missing link is like come on
1: <laughs> Oh, no, that was awesome but uh well there we go man i uh I will. Uh, I've taken up enough of your time. We've yapped for almost uh, two and a half hours here, so I, I won't keep you any longer. I, you know, with the long weekend coming, I know you got plans and everything, and uh, but I, I can't thank you enough for doing this.
0: Well, thanks for uh, having the interest in hearing some of the old stories, and I've oh. certainly enjoyed hearing the other stories from uh, some of your other followers. So keep up the good work.
1: Well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much for. Uh, And like I said, you've uh, you know, and it was and it was great to meet you. And uh, I should be going up there shortly. I'm gonna have to swing by again. Hey, if I uh, for anybody out there listening, if they uh, what if they throw out uh, the fourth line voice, do they get uh, ten percent off some white walls or what?
0: <laughs> hey, we might be able to make something work there. Maybe we can sponsor your t-shirt line or something.
1: Hey, there we go. I think I can? I need some winter tires for our new SUV. Can I get? Do, I, do I, I? know a guy now? Can I get a price? <laughs> Absolutely, friends and family. Hey, there we go. Uh, <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate it. Hey, anybody going through Lloyd Minster Hit up Fountain Tire. Go see. Uh, go see Kent. Chat him up. But uh, I'll let you go, man. But thank you very much for for doing this, and uh, and have a good night. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you again. Absolutely. Thanks, Kent. Appreciate it. Cheers. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?